Hemlock Knots. Cracking the restoration's toughest subjects through rational, balanced analysis of source material. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a live debate about the question of whether or not Joseph Smith was a practicing polygamist. I've got four uh, amateur of sorts church historians, you know, that love to study the topic. And we've got a variety of opinions here today. And so we're going to introduce each team before we get started. Um, a lot of you have wondered who these people are, and I'll let them answer for themselves and to talk a little bit about who they are and why they're interested in this topic. So first off, we have the affirmative team, which is made up of Mark Tensmeyer and Jacob Vidrine. Mark, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Got to unmute. Yeah, sure. So I'm Mark Tensmeyer. Um, I guess why I'm interested in this, I, I uh, about a few years ago, seven years ago, really got into uh, talking with people of um, other backgrounds in the restoration community of Christ, fundamentalists and such, and discussing uh, what uh, why, why we believe the things we did, what our certain claims were. And this was a claim that just kept coming up and up again. As I talked about the background, and that's about the time that Denver Snuffer's paper came out. That's about the time Leo's paper came out. And um, I, I like talking about it because it's an issue that was, uh, that unlike a lot of other things, was just an issue of fact, something that either did or didn't happen. And um, not a lot of other people were responding to uh, these arguments. And so... I thought I would, and so uh, here I am. Very good. Now, Jacob Vidrain is his teammate on the affirmative side. Hey, Jacob, tell us about yourself. Hi, I got my name is Jacob Vidrain. I got interested in really digging into church history starting about the summer of 2014, and plural marriage was a subject that really came up and is a you know really sticky subject in church history and. Um, it's, it's something that's obviously important to understanding um, the history of the Restoration, and so that's why we're discussing it today. So, yeah, I guess that's my background with this. I wrote a paper on it also. So, Very good. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, now, the, the negative side, those that are opposing the question of Joseph Smith, you know, whether he was or wasn't a polygamist, we've got Leo Ebert and Jeremy Hoop. Leo, do you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, my name is Leo Ebert. I uh, live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, been studying this uh, since it's, I think it was around 2015 or so. I uh, really dove headlong into this question of polygamy. I was very intrigued by it, trying to understand it, uh, make sense of it in my own mind. Initially, I was just kind of, you know, writing notes on a Google Doc, and then soon I was writing paragraphs, and pretty soon I had headings. And then I eventually had a paper that um, I think is kind of circulated around the inter internet called Joseph Smith's Monogamy. Um, and that has, I, you know, since then I've been kind of involved in this debate and this discussion. Uh, and then Mark, of course, graciously invited me to be part of the show. Very good. And Jeremy? Oh, you're muted. Thank you, technology. <laughs> uh, my name is Jeremy Hoop. I'm from California originally. I live in Utah. I started getting interested in the subject of church history on my mission back in 1991 uh, and uh, became a student of it ever since. Um, 2010, I really uh, started studying it ardently. And uh, in 2019, 
uh, around 2015, 2016, I started to become convinced that maybe Joseph wasn't a Platonist. Um, and I studied that uh, in depth. Then I gave a talk in 2019 called of demigods and dark nights uh, an opening statement in defense of joseph smith and um ever since i've been uh, investigating and picking apart sources and here i am today fantastic thank you so much all right cool so uh, people ask me a couple times like why did you pick these people right um why didn't you pick somebody who has a phd and whatever from from byu or um, so I, I picked these four guys because on the online communities are very active they're very participatory and they do a really good job citing their sources um, they're well-versed in church history on both sides of the argument. Um, and I think they would present well because, you know, I honestly didn't want to pick people who had books that they were trying to defend. You know, if someone was a published author, like they were not on my list to bring on because, you know, that kind of limits um, some things for them. But um, we like having the the amateur historians, the passionate historians who've just spent a lot of their time, not professionally necessarily, but diving into the details. And so we're going to structure this debate very fairly. We're going to hear from both sides. Um, each chance will have a, each team will have a chance to present an argument, and then we'll give the other team a chance for rebuttal. Five minutes. Um, the main arguments will be presented in ten-minute time slots, and then at the very end, we'll give everybody a chance three minutes to have a final closing remarks on the question of was Joseph Smith a practicing polygamist, and then after that, we'll open it up to live question and audience uh, live Q and A with the audience, and we're going to be taking comments from right here on YouTube. So. At any point during this presentation, please put comments down below and we'll feature them the best we can at the very end. We'll try to pick the best questions to have, have the experts um, answer for you. So if you want a specific person within the debate to answer your question, just make that known in the comment. You know, this is a question for Jeremy or Leo or, or Mark or whoever. So with that being said, we are gonna go ahead and kick it off. And the very first team to go is gonna be the affirmative team. Their argument number one I'm going to let them present and we're going to pull everybody else off of off the camera for a moment. And uh, Mark and Jacob, take it away with your first point you wanted to make. OK, well, do you want to put up my slides that kind of just kind of lay these out? OK, so let's go. Um, the 10 sources I'm going to be citing. So we were, we were asked to pick our two, you know, two main topics to argue that Joseph Smith was a polygamist, what evidence we found very compelling in the affirmative of that argument. And so two things that are obviously really highly cited are contemporary antagonistic witnesses. And we're also going, our other point is going to be um, later testimony. And so the contemporary antagonistic witnesses are important because they show that these testimonies and these names don't come up, you know, that they weren't invented later on, that these names clearly had been circulating in Nauvoo as being involved with plural marriage. And the three sources we're going to primarily cite are John C. Bennett, Oliver Only, and Buckeye's Lamentation for Want of More Wives. And these three sources, and so we're going to also be using some other documents that are contemporary, as well as some later statements from a variety of different places um, to demonstrate the compelling this of these contemporary witnesses. So to start off, the first one we're going to cite is John C. Bennett correctly identifies five wives and two other polygamy insiders in his 1842 book, The History of the Saints. And John C. Bennett was, you know, looking for revenge on Joseph Smith, and he was looking to see how he could accuse him of being involved with spiritual wifery and say, 
isn't it hypocritical for Joseph Smith to be excommunicating me for something that he himself is also doing to some similar degree? And a lot of mainstream LDS historians will want to distance John C. Bennett from Joseph Smith's polygamy and say that he was just doing something completely different. And um, whether that's true or not, they have to admit that John C. Bennett in his book gets a really gives a compelling statement listing names and even individuals who performed the ceremonies in two cases of Joseph Smith's plural wives. So this is on page 256 of it. He says, I will semi-state two or more cases among the vast number where Joe Smith was privately married to his spiritual wives. In the case of Mrs. A.S., and that's, uh, he leaves the women's names redacted because of their privacy, obviously. But he says, by Apostle Brigham Young, in the case of Mrs. L.B., by Elder Joseph B. Bates Noble, then there's the case of Mrs. B., Mrs. D., Mrs. S., and Mrs. G., and Mrs. B., etc., etc. And so when you look at the, he gives the number of characters of each name. And so he correctly identifies Agnes Smith as being sealed to Joseph Smith by Brigham Young. He lists Louisa Beeman as being sealed to Joseph Smith by Joseph Bates Noble. And he also correctly identifies Priscilla Huntington Buell, Elizabeth Davis Durfee, and Patty Sessions. And then there's two names that we can't identify that don't match with any later wives. But correctly naming um, five wives and then two other polygamy insiders is compelling. And so Agnes Smith's ceiling is interesting, corroborated by a Masonic cipher journal entry in, on Brigham Young's journal in January of 1842. Um, that evidence was never presented in the evidence for Joseph Smith's polygamy in the 1800s, but that was discovered in Joseph Smith's journal um, in re relatively recent times because of, um, you know, by modern scholars. And it was decoded by uh, a scholar who was who specialized in Royal Arch Masonry. And it basically said, I was taken into the lodge and Joseph was Agnes S. And um, was is a term used elsewhere in Brigham Young's term that for plural marriages in 1845 that he was involved in that stood for that scholars understand stands for wedded and sealed. And so then the other compelling thing I'm going to mention is that all of these wives that are correctly identified, Louisa Beeman, Priscilla Huntington Buell, and Elizabeth Davis Durfee are sealed in the Nauvoo Temple to Joseph Smith because all sealings done outside of temples were needed to be ratified in temples. And there's a number of statements to demonstrate that doctrine. And so an Agnes Smith was sealed in um, to George A. Smith, showing that she was involved with um, plural marriage still in, you know, in 1846. So she was sealed for time to George A. Smith and for eternity to Don Carlos Smith. And then um, Patty Sessions, who wasn't the only one who wasn't sealed in the Nauvoo Temple, she wrote in her later on that, you know, she needed to have that seal, referencing that her sealing did need to eventually be ratified in a temple. And so just showing that Brigham Young's Masonic cipher real quick, um, you know, it's a very odd thing in Brigham Young's journal because right above it actually says somebody wrote Brigham Young's journal and then it has the cipher. But um, it's very, it's, that's with a lot of evidence for polygamy that there's anomalies with it, but um, it is compelling. So just wanted to point this out. So continuing, Oliver only who was another critic of Nauvoo polygamy, 
he in he, he wrote a number of things both in his journal and in his in pamphlets critical of Nauvoo plural marriage and in among his papers there's a list uh, on the back of a document related to Nauvoo female society and on this document it lists the names of Joseph's wives it lists Louisa Beeman Agnes Smith Eliza R Snow Emily Partridge Eliza G Eliza Partridge, Sylvia Sessions, Patty Sessions, and a Mrs. Granger, which there isn't a Mrs. Granger in the evidence of Joseph's wife, but interestingly, she's Sarah, Sarah Granger Kimball says that Joseph did propose to her in early 1842, um, but that she rejected that proposal. Um, so it's correctly named seven wives except Louisa Granger. Um, and all of these wives are again corroborated by the Nauvoo Temple sealing record in January, uh, February 1846, except Patty Sessions. And so I, I think this list is pretty compelling. And he's not reliant on John C. Bennett because these are, he only lists about half the same names as John C. Bennett. So I do think Oliver Olney's list is also a compelling source. Um, and continuing, another antagonistic source is Buckeye's Lamentation for Want of More Wives. And this was a poem in the Warsaw Signal in February of 1844. And this poem was written by someone in the William Law camp. And the reason we find it compelling is because William Law later said that Joseph had given him all sorts of details about plural marriage in order to try to induce him to participate in plural marriage. And this poem was written by someone that he was friends with. Some, think, some say Wilson Law, some say it's one of the Higbees, but it's very interesting in that it's, it's a creative poem. Joseph didn't like it because it was obviously, um, you know, it, it was obviously an antagonistic poem, but just to go off of it, it says, and so tis here in this sad life, such ills you must endure. Some priest or king may claim your wife because you are poor. A revelation he may get, refuse it if you dare. And you'll be damned perpetually by our good Lord, the mayor. But that's, and I'm not reading the whole poem. This is starting with verse seven. He says, but if you yield willingly your daughters and your wives and spiritual marriage to our Pope, he'll bless you all your lives. He'll seal you up. Be darned. You can't no matter what you do. If only you stick to him, he swears he'll take you through. So there's this allegation that there was these idea of men sealing their, having wives sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity and all and, um, allegations of daughters being sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity. And so some in compelling sources I find to support this idea of polyandrous sealings are the confessions of John D. Lee, where he said that he admits there was a report that Orson Hyde's wife had been sealed to Joseph Smith with his consent. And he said, for an eternal sake, but I do not assert the fact. Fact. Quote, I also understand Brigham's wife was likewise sealed to Joseph. Shortly before the death of Joseph, Brigham told me that Joseph's time on earth was short and that the Lord allowed him privileges that we could not have. And so John D. Lee is very antagonistic to Brigham Young at this time, but he's still saying that he knew in that plural marriage started with Joseph Smith. And he supports this idea of men having wives sealed to Joseph Smith for an eternal state. And then similarly, John Hawley, who is a um, he left, he, he originally was a Lyman White follower and came to Utah and then eventually joined the RLDS church because he rejected plural marriage in Utah. He wrote that when he got endowed 
in the 1860s by um, Wilford Woodruff that Wilford Woodruff told him, quote, when Brigham Young got the records of the church in his hand after the death of Joseph Smith, he found by examination his first wife had been sealed to Joseph and he lists a number of other men's wives because their husbands couldn't save him. And he said, why Woodruff told me this, I could not say. So, and so, and then supporting the daughters being sealed to Joseph Smith, just to wrap up, we have the docu three documents, contemporary documents to um, support that Sarah Ann Whitney, Newell K. Whitney's daughter was sealed to Joseph Smith. The first being a revelation on July 27th, 1842. And then uh, supportive of, and this is a later document, but it's there's co contemporary evidence that it was a legit document come from both a letter from Joseph Smith in his own handwriting to the Whitney's as well as a patriarchal blessing that Joseph Smith gave to Sarah Ann Whitney. Okay, and we're, we're up on time. We'll give you guys an extra 15, 20 seconds to finish your, your sentences or whatever, but we're gonna open this up now to a rebuttal from the, um, from the negative team. And let's see, let's get um, Jeremy added and Leo added. Folks, you've got five minutes to rebut the statements that they just made. Um, go right ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, I think first thing you got to do is define some terms here. So plural marriage and polygamy, we're trying to figure out, is Joseph practicing this, right? Um, nobody really, I don't think anybody really denies that there was something going on, some kind of sealing. I mean, Joseph even publicly talked about this in the King Fall of Discourse. He said he could be crafty, you know, and seal people to him to help them get to heaven. That does not mean he was sleeping with them or having sex with them, okay? Um, or trying to have children with them, right? So, uh, or, or marrying them as wives even necessarily could be just a ceiling, some kind of, you know, dynastic family thing, right? Um, so the issue is then, you know, all these names that are coming out, you got names from John Bennett or Oliver Olney or someone who wrote a poem, Buckeye's Lamentation. What does that prove? It does not prove that Joseph Smith was sleeping with other women. It doesn't prove he was married to other women. It proves that there were names being bandied about, proves that there were rumors going all over town. If Joseph had been sealed to some of these women, it's, I mean, doesn't seem that unlikely that someone might say something to someone else. I was sealed or whatever that means. Um, and that it gets, rumor gets around, you know, John Bennett, um, I think most people agree he was a scoundrel. He got into a position of power and used that immediately to start having sex with women. Um, he becomes the mayor. Is it really that hard to believe that he might hear some things, might hear about some things that are happening with uh, women in town? Again, does not prove that there is actually sex occurring, right? And if there's no sex, I'm sorry, but there's no polygamy. There's no plural marriage. It's something else entirely. We may not understand what Joseph was trying to do, but we can, I think, in my opinion, definitively say there was no intercourse. There was no plural marriage, okay? And just because someone knows a few names doesn't mean there was plural marriage. Um, Brigham Young's, let's see, Brigham Young's journal entry, you know, J, J. Smith, W.A.S. Agnes, okay. Man, you could make that mean anything. You could literally use those three letters, W-A-S, to prove that, uh, you know, aliens were visiting the early Mormons in Nauvoo, right? I, mean, I, can, I can make up literally any story I wanted and make it fit the three letters, W-A-S. We have no idea what Brigham Young meant with that entry. We can guess. We can pontificate. We do know that it does not say Joseph Smith was married to Agnes. It simply does not say that. It says J. Smith, W-A-S, Agnes, okay? Could be washed and sealed. Um, washing, you know, they did ceremonial washings in Nauvoo. We know they talked about that in the DNC. 
Sealing, okay, so Hiram uh, in 1844 gave a public address where he talked about this idea of being sealed to a dead spouse. Okay, that was a big deal for him because his first wife passed away and he kind of approached Joseph on this topic of being sealed to her, right? So is it really surprising to think that they might go and seal Agnes to whom? To Don Carlos, their dead brother, right? Agnes is the widow. Um, so it seems to be a lot more reasonable, a lot simpler explanation to say this was some kind of proxy wedding. Maybe Joseph Smith performed it. Maybe Joseph Smith kind of stood in for Don Carlos. But it's a huge stretch to say WAS proves somehow that that he took Agnes as a plural wife, right? Um, let's see. You mentioned the letter to Newell K. Whitney. If you could pull that one up, uh, Mark, I'd appreciate it. The letter to Newell K. Whitney, you know, this one is interesting because you've got this letter where Joseph is saying, Hey, um, if, you know, he wants the Whitney's to come visit him, right? He's in hiding. And, uh, and I'm getting this information straight from the JSP website, okay? I did not have to dig very far for this. The night before he writes this letter, he's at a different location. He's in hiding. And um, somehow Emma figures out that his hiding place is known, all right? So she goes and finds him specifically to warn him, hey, babe, your hiding place is known. Like, you need to get out of here. These guys are looking for you. And if they find you, obviously, this is going to be bad news because you're on your own. Um, why would she do that? Because she cares about him. She loves him. He's her husband. One, okay. one minute remaining. So the next day he moves to this place, Carlos Granger's farm. And then he writes to Whitney's and says, Hey, Whitney's, you know, I'm here alone. I think we're good tonight. I don't think anybody knows I'm here. Come over and hang out. If you see Emma coming, it's not safe. You know, that's the word. Now you guys kind of present that as if it means, you know, Emma's this like psychotic, possessive, possibly violent maniac who will do God knows what if, if she catches the Whitney's hanging out with Joseph Smith. All he's saying is, hey, Emma will tell me, she will come and warn me if this place is not safe, just like she did last night when she found out it wasn't safe. If she doesn't seconds. come, if she doesn't come, it means we're good here and we should be okay. He's simply trying to keep them out of harm's way because he knows the people looking for him are dangerous, armed, um, could potentially bring harm to the Whitney's. So, you know, with a lot of these sources, it's fine, you know, rattle off 10 things like that. But the fact is a lot of the things you're rattling off on further inspection are really kind of a nothing sandwich. That's it. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we're going to move on to the, the second claim or the second position. Um, and we're going to give the negative team, the same team, Jeremy and Leo, um, their first presentation on, on why Joseph Smith was not involved in polygamy. Um, and they're going to have 10 minutes to present. Let me reset timers and things like that. Um, is there anything you need shown? Uh, yeah, just just my my one screen. Okay, there so we go. Jer Jer we're going to show Jeremy Hoop. We're going to start the timer right now at 10 minutes. Take it away, Jeremy. So as Leo uh, alluded to, this topic today comes down to only one thing. Did Joseph practice polygamy? And the only way to determine that is, did he have sex with the women? No matter what you want to say about what he was doing, if he wasn't having sex with the women, really cohabitating with them, because otherwise they're not wives, and more specifically having sex and having children with them, this is not polygamy. We can debate it as to what it was. We can disagree as to what he may or may not have been doing. But in terms of being a polygamist, the only way to determine that is, was he having sex? And so is there any evidence for that? We actually concur with Joseph Smith III's statement, and I'll just summarize it, that he believed that his father was... Uh, engaged in a ceremony that connected the women to the afterlife and had nothing to do with marital rights in the flesh. 
if you look only at Joseph Smith's life and his ministry from really from 1820 to 1844, there is no evidence whatsoever that he was involved in this anyway. All there is is insinuation and and, and uh, accusations for uh, that were never uh, corroborated or founded on any fact. The Book of Mormon, the, the DNC, condemn it in the strongest possible language. The law of the church was was uh, DNC 101, which was monogamy. And Joseph and Emma, Emma and Hiram, unlike what you will hear, that they had carefully worded denials, they were vehement and fierce opponents of anything related to, and they, they used all of the terms, spiritual wifery, uh, polygamy, uh, multi multiplicity of wives, plurality of wives. They condemned all of it, and they and they equated all of that with adultery. <clears throat> if we're talking about documenting sexual relations, as Brian Hales, the foremost documenter of pro-Joseph polygamy sources and the author of the, the LDS Church's um, essay on polygamy, he explains it's very difficult. There's only fragmentary evidence you have to co cobble together. And he also admits that none of the women left any kind of record. Neither did Joseph. So how do you piece it together? Well, you have to piece it together based on statements from people decades after the fact. And Brian Hales himself lists uh, 10 women for whom there's any evidence of sexuality. One of them, he's, uh, two of them, he says, are weak. I don't know why he lists them. <clears throat> um, six of them, he says, or, or rather five of them, he says, are moderate, but those are based on second and third party decades old hearsay. And three of them, he says, are strong. And those three happen to be the women who testified in the 1892 Temple Lot case. By the way, the 1892 Temple Lot case uh, uh, had three of the women testify um, on behalf of Joseph being a polygamist. There were nine women living at the time who supposedly or allegedly had been his wives. Among them were Helen Mark Kimball, Zina Young, uh, Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, Patty Sessions, Elmira Johnson, Martha Knight. But only three would testify. By the way, the judge who reviewed the case believed that the women were not telling the truth. He said it perhaps would be uncharitable to say that these women have borne false testimony as to their connection with Joseph Smith. But in view of all the evidence and circumstances surrounding the alleged intercourse, it's difficult to escape the conclusion that at most they were but sports in nest hiding. He did not believe that they were his wives. Looking at two of the women, and only two because Lucy Walker Kimball, despite what Brian Hale says, Lucy Walker Kimball does not answer the question. She simply refuses to answer the question whether she lived with Joseph as a wife or whether she had any children with him. There's nothing there from Lucy to establish her as, as, as having sexual relations with Joseph. Only two then um, can be established as having said something in relation to that. Melissa Lott, while not explicitly um, acknowledging sexual relations, she said in an interview with Joseph's son, Joseph Smith III in 1885, he asked, did you ever live with him as a wife anywhere? She said, beginning to cry, no, I never did, but you have no business asking me such questions. I had a great regard and respect for both your father and your mother. I do not like to talk about such things, but then in her 1892 Temple Lot case testimony, Melissa changed her story. She said that she roomed with him as a wife more than twice in Nauvoo. And in 1893, Joseph Smith III asked her again in an interview, were you married to my father? She replied, yes. He said, was you a wife in very deed? She answered, yes. He asked, why was there no increase, say, in your case? She said, through no fault of either of us, lack of proper conditions on my part, probably, or it might be in the wisdom of the Almighty that we should have none. The prophet was martyred nine months after our marriage. So we're 
asked to consider when she was telling the truth. She was obviously lying, but when is the question? There are some interesting anomalies in her testimony. Number one, she tries to paint her marriage to Joseph as a typical wedding. She's the only woman ever to do so. She says she was known by the name of Smith in Nauvoo, which she's the only woman ever to do so. The other women in the Templot case said specifically they weren't known as Joseph's wife. Um, she said many people came to the wedding. Well, then on cross-examination, that many people shrunk down to fewer and fewer and fewer to a small number of people in her family who were no, were no longer living at the time, so they couldn't corroborate it. So the question is, when was she telling the truth? The other one and the most compelling testimony that's ever been given in relation to sexuality with Joseph Smith is Emily uh, Partridge Dow Young. In her diary surrounding the time of the Templot case, she tells of being quite disturbed and racked, kind of tormented mentally about her answers, and she wished she had said better things. Well, why? A little background. Prior to her testimony in March of 18th and 19th of 1892, Emily and Eliza Partridge had both maintained in many publications and sworn affidavits that they had both been married or sealed to Joseph Smith in the presence of Emma Smith on May 11th, 1843, and that Judge James Adams had performed the ceremony. May 11th, 1843 was consistently published and sworn to by both sisters for decades. Emily had also published and sworn by affidavit that she had previously married or been sealed to Joseph on March 4th, 1843 by Heber Kimball in Kimball's home. But the question here is not whether Emily had been sealed to Joseph, but rather whether she had sexual relations with him. And she would swear to that fact in 1892. Summarizing it, in her Templot testimony, she swears to having roomed with Joseph once on the night of their second marriage in May, to having slept with him more than once, and that she had carnal intercourse with him, not certain how many times, but between March 4th, 1843, and the night of her May wedding, 1843, but never before or never after those dates. <clears throat> Here's the problem with her testimony. The date of her second marriage was demonstrably wrong. Emma wasn't there, and Emily has to admit it in her testimony, starting on page 367 of the Templot uh, transcript. The prosecutor says, question, this millennial star, which the witness has identified, Thursday, May 11th, 1843, it is as follows. Thursday, the 11th day of May, 1843, at 6 a.m., baptized Louisa Beeman, Sarah Alley, and others. At 8 a.m., went to see a new carriage made by Thomas Moore, which was ready for travel. Emma went to Quincy in new carriage. I rode out as far as Prairie. Now, that is a private journal of Joseph Smith for 11th of May, the day you say you were married to him. What do you say to that? Answer? Well, it's possible that I may have made a, may, may have made a mistake in the dates, but I haven't made a mistake in any of the facts that I know. After acknowledging she got the date wrong, the prosecutor questions her further and gets her to say, well, it must have been before that date. <clears throat> but the problem with that is, the, and this is something the judge never got to hear, is that Judge Adams wasn't there either. He wrote a letter to Joseph Smith on the 27th of April, 1843, stating he couldn't get there because his wife was sick and the roads were bad. And then in Joseph's journal on May 21st, 1843, he writes, Judge Adams arrives in town. So it couldn't have been before May 11th. She says she roomed with Joseph Smith the night of her second marriage, but never after that. <clears throat> in many of her publications, um, she also wrote that Emma was her bitter enemy. From that hour, she was our bitter enemy, the moment that they got married. But in her 1877 account, she writes, 
She chose my sister and I and helped explain the principles to us. We did not make much trouble, but we were sealed in her presence with her full and free consent. It was May 11th, but before that day was over, she turned around, repented of what she had done, and kept Joseph up till very late in the night talking to him. She kept close watch of us. If we were missing for a few minutes and Joseph was not at home, the house was searched from top to bottom. The problem is, how did she room with Joseph on the night of her May wedding when Emma repented of what she had done, kept Joseph up till very late in, in the night talking to him? She kept close watch of us. Are we supposed to believe that Emma, uh, that Emily slept with Joseph after the talking to she that she received he received from Emma till very late in night? In terms of uh, then, if not the wedding night, then when? <clears throat> she says she slept with him between March 4th, 1843 and May of 1843. But here's the problem. In her 1877 incident, she says... I cannot tell all that Joseph said, but when he said the Lord had commanded him to enter plural marriage and that he had given me to him. Well, I was married then and there. Joseph went home his way and I going my alone. A strange way of getting married, wasn't it? Brother Kimball mar married us 4th of March, 1843. Things remained as they were for a few months when sometime in the first part of May, Emma told Joseph she would give him two wives. There was no sex that occurred between March 4th and May either. So if we're to believe her, when is the possible window that these things occurred? Emily Partridge was lying, period. Very good. Right on time. Okay, thank you very much. So um, that was Testimonies of Sexuality presented by Jeremy Hoop. And we're going to give the affirmative team now five minutes on the clock. And we're going to bring them back on screen before we start the timer. Um, Thanks, guys. Let's get rid of some of these. All right. So Mark Tensmeyer coming back as along with Jacob Vidrine. Gentlemen, you have five minutes um, starting as soon as my picture disappears to rebut what was just presented. Go ahead. Oh, you're muted. Okay. Am I good? Now you're good. Okay, great. So um, in the first place, I'd point out that there's very, very little positive evidence that, if, if any at all, really, that these ceilings, even though we acknowledge that they existed, were actually these platonic dynastic ceilings and that the polygamy aspect was something that was added later. Uh, in, in nearly all or of the accounts that we have, they're referred to as polygamy as wives, without the qualification that they were actually an eternity-only thing. In fact, uh, Joseph Smith III, he wrote this in a letter. He said, my mother stated to me that while she was in yet in full possession of her memory and reason, that my father had no other women as a wife than, than herself, to her knowledge and consent, and that she never knew of anything of his having any other woman as his wife in any sense, and that she never knew him as having been sealed or married for eternity to any. And so even those that were trying to combat polygamy didn't combat it by saying he was sealed, that these ceilings were just this uh, platonic thing. And so we have, when we have abundance of, of evidence that says that it was, including from people who were not Brighamites and who were not pro-polygamy. And um, so, so that the burden is to, that we really need to show positive evidence that sexual relations occurred with Joseph I don't agree with that premise. Now, as to uh, the uh, the Temple Lot case, if we get to that, 
there were three women that testified, but those were the three women who were asked to testify. A court case is not an open mic. It's not a town hall meeting. Depositions are expensive. Those are the individuals that the Church of Christ Temple lot asked to come testify. They could have asked more. They could have asked less, but those are the ones that they did. It does not mean that the other women who were sealed to Joseph Smith were unwilling to testify. Um, now, as to uh, as to the uh, statements about the specific things about um, Melissa Lott and about Emily Partridge, I do think Melissa Lott, she, when she uh, is asked this, I, I um, let's see, it'd be good if we had this up online. I, got the, I sent the directory, but um, when she was asked in her direct examination if she was his wife and all that word implies she said that she was when she was asked if she roomed with him as his wife she she agreed she wasn't trying to dodge the question or use uh any kind of euphemism to get around it those are the questions that they were asked her uh is the audio really here we can, hear you. we can hear you just fine mark okay yeah gotcha. okay you're good. Okay, I'm getting some feedback. On I'll here. add another like 30 seconds to the clock. Don't worry about that. Okay. Yeah, I got. I was getting a little bit of feedback there. Yeah, and so that was the question. That's the way that Parley Kelly phrased the question to her: "Is what, did you room with him as his wife?" And so that's how she answered. She gave the room number and uh, she said she did cohabitate. I believe in both cases, especially with, with uh, Melissa Lott, she did have trouble remembering some things, and so that's why. She, she got wrong on some of those details, and I think she was trying to overstate her case a bit. I think with the case of Melissa, oh, with Emily Partridge, I do agree that she is a problematic witness, that there are uh, problematic aspects of her testimony that don't quite match up, and I'm not quite sure what all that means. I don't know if that means that categorically she was lying about everything, or if it means she had memory problems, or if she's trying to oversell her case. I've seen that. Uh, mainstream scholarship is starting to recognize that. Cheryl Bruno has a paper on that that's going to be coming out in a book that's that from signature books here in uh, next year and so I, I agree with that i think emily partridge does have some credibility issues and, and reasons why you might not want to hang your hat on her but i do think melissa lot she she gives pretty good testimony and um i think that's really all i have for that did you have anything jacob um, I would just point out with the memory issues, according yeah. to William Clayton's diary, it doesn't, you know, it, so the problem with sources is, you know, when you're getting a wide variety of sources from people's memory years later, you're going to have problems with, you know, all the sources yeah. together. But in William Clayton's diary on August 16th, 1843, William Clayton records a conversation with Joseph where he says she would have given him where he says Emma said to Joseph she would have given him E and E partridge but knew yeah. with them she would pitch on him and obtain a divorce and leave him he therefore you know he told me therefore you should not relinquish anything so basically that's saying that if there was a ceiling with Emma's consent it had not yet occurred in and by that time in August of 1843 so it would have had to be later and so William Clayton Starry shows that the testimony was wrong on that so yeah very good thanks guys I know it's hard to fit it all in. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. You guys are going to stay on camera, and you guys actually get to present your, your second major um, claim here. Oh, which um, one is that one again? Which one are we at again? Um, I've got it in my notes as the late testimonies one. 
Okay, yeah. And so uh, one second, let me reset the clock and everything. Getting my face out of this mess. Um, 10, 10 minutes to present. Okay, guys? Yeah. Starting now. Right. So uh, Jacob and I, as we talked, we've said, we, how we've said is that the, uh, that the evidence for Joseph's polygamy doesn't really rise or fall on any one thing or any one kind of evidence. And so we did want to go into some of the later testimonies or the later accounts that we thought were particularly credible and that they did help, especially because uh, we didn't have time to go into all the uh, contemporary evidence and the issues of contemporaries. We want to save that for another debate. So um, some of the ones we bring up, if you want to pull up, uh, Mark, if you could pull up Walker, the Walker thing. Yeah, so I just uh, pulled up. I, there are a number of, diff of different kinds of accounts. A lot of them were solicited. Which one, Which one, Mark? Walker. Uh, I think I just sent that. It's okay oh, if you can't. Let me, um, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll subtract all this time from the clock. Okay. This was well, the last one you sent. Let me bring it over. I mean, um, I'm sorry. It was a last minute thing. I know. I'm sorry. No, we're so, showing, showing okay. it now. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to scroll down. So as you can see, Hold on. Uh, yeah, this is, this is just a, uh, this is an account, just a live sketch that Lucy Walker put together and uh, wrote about her life um, from her birth up till then. And she does, if you want to scroll down to where there's highlights, she gives a pretty detailed account of, uh, of her encounter with polygamy and about her, her marriage to Joseph Smith, about how he approached her and she didn't really know what to think about it and how she, how after praying about it, she got, she had a uh, strong spiritual experience that it was the right thing to do. And so she goes ahead. And so then she went ahead and went through it, how she gave her blessing. And so there, there's a detailed account, um, accounts like this, I mean, they're not things that can prove in the say like the hard evidence case, but I find it I find it I find it rather credible. I'm sure that there are embellishments here or there as there always are in later accounts. But this is an account that was not solicited. This was an account that wasn't in the context of any kind of specific conflict to try and prove Joseph Smith was a polygamist. She was giving her history, and so there's accounts like that. If you want to pull up uh, the orange white account. Yeah, so Orange White's he this is another later account. But Orange White's an interesting guy because he's he's not he uh he initially went with his father to Texas and was part of that church. And he didn't join the LDS church for quite a few decades. And this is something that he wrote later. If you want to scroll on down, he talks about, and again, you see as you can see, this is a life sketch, and he's writing this in a private letter, and he's He's writing that uh, about how when he was 20, when he was almost 20 is when he started courting, when he started looking for a wife. And this is how he met Flora Woodward. And he met Flora Woodward and said that the prophet just uh, stopped by and took them for a ride in his carriage. And that he uh, and that he didn't really know why. But then it was his mother, her mother told her that told him that Flora and Joseph were had been married and Flora was one of his wives. And so that's when he stops pursuing her as a wife. And so uh, Flora Woodward, she she had died really before the migration to Utah. And so her and there are some accounts. There's there's a couple of accounts in the uh, in the woman ex exponent that um, from Sarah Mark Kimball that mentions her briefly. 
and but it wasn't it wasn't uh and so that, that he's something he knows he can give another witness the fact that four was a was a wife and that's a that's a specific thing and so that's something that i find credible again not something that in itself i think is very um slam dunk type evidence but something that, that that's to consider and uh yeah and, and so the next one if you want to pull up uh the slideshow the marks slideshow okay so one of the things i like to talk about are bring up are these third party accounts and so these are accounts from individuals who are not anti-mormon they're not people like john bennett or like or like william law they're not polygamists they're not pro brigham young in fact in a lot of cases they're very anti-brigham young they're very anti-polygamy but at the same time, they are able, not only do they say Joseph Smith was a polygamist, they're able to corroborate a lot of these details. And so this is William Marks. He's the state president of Nauvoo. He's actually Emma Smith's uh, choice to, in the immediate aftermath of the martyrdom, to leave the church. And he's, uh, he's someone who's involved in all of the secret councils in Nauvoo. But he doesn't really take to him, which is what he says in this account. So this is an account that I think everybody who's familiar with this debate knows. This is the account from Bahamian's Oregon that he writes in 1853. And this is later reprinted in the Saints Herald after the, the uh, RLDS Church comes about. And he says that he heard and saw many things that were practiced that he did not believe to come from God. Uh, he talks about it a little bit before this. And there he talks about seeing Joseph Smith being crowned king in the Council of Fifty. And he said that he thought that he would just cling to the holy principles and that these things would just sort of go away. But when polygamy came about, he said he took a decided stand against it. And that made him unpopular with many of the leading ones of the church. Okay, if you want to skip on to the next slide, please. And he says, Joseph became convinced, however, before his death that he had done wrong. And this is a little bit later. He says, Joseph took him aside and he said, the doctrine of polygamy of the spiritual life system that has been taught and practiced among us will prove our destruction and overthrow. I have been deceived, said he. In reference to its practice, it's wrong and it's a curse to mankind. And so this is this has been quoted by both those trying to argue for and against Joseph Smith being a polygamist. And it is pretty intentionally uh, ambiguous. As you can see, he says Joseph Smith's against it. He says uh, it was leaders of the church that were that had done it. Uh, he doesn't actually say Joseph Smith hadn't done it. You can kind of get the implication in there where he says I've been deceived. But at the other time, he says that Joseph had done wrong. Uh, if you look at it closely, I get the sense that he is saying that Joseph was part of it. Uh, there are people that disagree, but that's that's that that's the most published. That's that's the most accessible William Marks statement on this on this episode. But he also said things that were a little bit uh, more specific and to the point, less ambiguous. So if we want to move on, this is a letter he wrote in eight eight. 1865 this is to um this is to Hiram Falk and Josiah Butterfield he says in there he he talks again where he tells them that he took that Joseph took him aside and told him the polygamy business was that the church they need to stop it they need to cut it off and he says in there he says I thought it would be an advantage to mankind which also states more directly his involvement now, another account, William Marks is very directly, there's nothing to ambiguity. So that's the next one. That's from Mark Forscott. Mark Forscott, I wrote this in his journal. Mark Forscott is the most, uh, is very, very anti-Brigham Young. In his meetings with people like Emma Smith, 
they're far more vitriolic about Brigham Young than most of the other ones. And, um, and so this one, he says in there, when he gives the account, he has, he quotes Joseph as saying, of course, Marx is saying that Joseph told them that, that uh, he would not speak to Brigham Young or some of the 12 about it. And he said that they would kill him if he did. But then later he says, I asked Brother Marx if Joseph was in polygamy. And he said, yes, he and Dr. Bennett were the first that went into it. So there, uh, William Marx conf confirms that Joseph Smith was part of it. And uh, if we move on, I think even more that says, lest we think that he somehow misunderstood. This is from this, this right here. This is from the minutes of the High Council of the Twelve. This is from the Community of Christ archives. Um, and this is when this is when William Marx is, is first council in the RLDS first presidency. And it says, the question arose whether Joseph the Mortar taught the doctrine of polygamy. President Marx said, Brother Hiram came to Alice's place once and told him he did not believe in it. I was going to see Joseph about it. And if he had a revelation on the subject, he would believe it. And after that, Hiram read a revelation on it to the high council. And he, Marx, felt that it was not true, but he saw the council receive it. So William Marx had an opportunity to review the revelation and to ask Hiram about it. And he still calls it polygamy. There's nothing about it where he says that this was something else. That it wasn't polygamy. He uses the term polygamy. And... Uh, and he has another account, unless we think maybe that the reporter. Now, this is this is the professional. This is the official reporter kept made this note contemporaneously in the in the RLDS archives. Um, unless we think this this is a account by John Hawley, who John Hawley says that he spoke to William Marks about this in 1868, and he says that he he gives a very similar subject story about how the subject of the revelation of polygamy came up about how he talked to Hiram about it before, and Hiram said he wanted to get a revelation from Joseph on it, and that he did get the revelation from it, and that that the High Council most that the High Council believed it, but that William Marks did not believe it. And he says that he, again, calls it the subject of the, of the revelation of polygamy. But I find this account very, very credible, because William Marks, he really doesn't have motivation to lie, and I don't re really see any reason to think that he was mistaken or that his memory was affected. And I and um, this is what you call it. It's a statement that goes against his interest. And he said it because he thought it was true. OK, well said. Awesome. Um, OK, give me just a moment to switch to the rebuttal. To affirmative argument number two, let's bring back um, the negative team. We've got Leo and Jeremy joining us. Thanks, Jacob and Mark. All right, um, gentlemen, you've got five minutes for your rebuttal starting right now. You're on mute, Jeremy. Mute. Can we start that oh, clock? There we go. Sorry. Um, let's start with Orange White. First of all, Orange White's testimony about something he heard his mother say about Joseph Smith. It's absolutely no evidence of anything. And I think one of the problems with this whole debate is that so many rely on second and third party hearsay, not just hearsay, but second and third party hearsay. And that's a real problem, especially decades old second and third party hearsay by a group of people, two groups, really enemies of Joseph Smith who hated him so much that they wanted him dead. And, and, a, and a group of people who made their entire way of life this system of marriage. And so you have to be, I think, very um, particular about how you analyze what they're saying. 
Orange White did not testify that he knew personally Joseph had wives and nor second that he saw him going to rooms with them or anything of that nature. He simply said, my mother said that. OK, that's what it is. Lucy Walker. Lucy Walker's testimony is interesting. Yeah, she gives a very detailed account, as did a few of the women that gave detailed accounts of their experience. But none of those accounts have anything to do with being his wives. They have to do with how they learned about the principle. They had to do with something involved in the ceremony. They call it being married to him. That's another debate for another day because of the affidavits they signed, which said that they were married or sealed, which is interesting that they would say married or sealed. Uh, Emily Partridge was particular on this. But the question is, if they were lying, which I believe some of them were, in some cases, were lying, why would they lie? Well, they had much to protect. As wives of Joseph Smith, they had status. They had economic protection. As Phoebe Woodruff would say, I will lie about polygamy because I'm not going to be turned out of my house. Phoebe Woodruff, according to her friend, this is, I believe, in the 1890s, she, she gave a talk saying how much she loved polygamy. And her friend said, why, why did you say that? Because you hate this. She said, I'm not getting turned out of my house. That's the wife of President Woodruff. And so would these people misremember? That's, e that's easy. Uh, would they misconstrue something that Joseph did not make public and he was doing privately? We don't know what it was, to be frank. None of us do. Anyone who says they know what he was doing is frankly not being intellectually honest. And so would there be motive to twist the truth, to embellish? Absolutely there would be, as Eliza Snow would do. I mean, the woman called herself a great high priestess, basically. And <clears throat> their reputation in the kingdom of God and in Utah was at stake, as well as their economic survival. As far as William Marks goes, all of the statements that were read were, were secondhand uh, tellings of what Marx had said to them. E.C. Briggs, an apostle in the um, RLDS church, said exactly the opposite. He said that William Marx had told him that he knew nothing of the subject and that, and, and that he believed that Joseph Smith had never practiced polygamy. So who are we going to believe in the secondhand statement realm? As far as William Marx is concerned, the only thing he ever said was that those two things, um, that I have been deceived, been deceived by who? The angel that, so, that, that, that came to him or been deceived by Brigham Young or John Taylor uh, and that I have done wrong. How did he do wrong? We don't know. As, you know, as Mark admits, that's, it's quite ambiguous, the statement. And that statement really goes to the fact that he was supposed to procure charges against anyone in the heads of the church preaching or practicing it. And that corroborates what Joseph Smith had written in his journal. The only statement we have from Joseph Smith in his journal about polygamy and that is, is which was that he ardently opposed it and that there would be charges brought against anyone practicing preaching it uh, in Nauvoo. So again, to sum, uh, to summarize, we have to examine the details of these sources, their motivations, the who, what, when, where, and why of the source, these second-hand and third-hand hearsay decades-old recollections are simply not reliable. Leo, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do I do love the, the Marx part. I mean, so yeah, he says I'm deceived. What's he deceived by? Is he deceived by the people in the church that were practicing this under his nose without him realizing it, or was he deceived by the angel? You could interpret it either way, but regardless of how you interpret it, it means that polygamy was a deception. It means that it's wrong. It means it should never have been practiced. It means that the succession is 
has to be a fraud because it was built on a deception. It means that Brigham Young simply could not be a true prophet, right? If he's if he's uh, practicing a deception and doesn't realize it, and it doesn't at least you know try to repent of it, how is he the true successor for Mormonism? So I find it, I frankly, I find it an odd source um, to rely on because it it really proves definitively that that polygamy uh, was wrong if William Marks has these details right. But yeah, even then you could say, uh, oh, there was a story that William Smith told. He said that um, right before Joseph was killed, he was having dinner with Emma and Joseph. And Emma says, hey, I've been hearing from some of the, some of the women that Heber C. Kimball, Brig she's naming names, Brigham Young, some of these guys in the 12 are practicing polygamy. And Joseph's like, well, look, I'll deal with that when I'm done with the laws. He never got the chance. He was killed soon thereafter. But that corroborates what Mark says. He was deceived. He was deceived by Brigham Young and his adherents. Okay, that's it, gentlemen. Very good. Okay, you guys are staying on stage for the last of the claims, um, the presentations, the 10-minute presentations. You guys now have your second one as the negative team. Um, and this one is going to address the topic of offspring with Joseph Smith. And so um, just for everybody listening on the live stream, like let us know in the comments below what your questions are, because after this, we're going to wrap it up with some final statements from each of these people pre presenting. Um, and also we're going to take a live audience Q&A. So please leave your questions down below um, at this time to make sure we, we get them in the queue and in, in time enough to, to feature them on the show. We'll be doing about 45 minutes of Q&A. So um, with that, gentlemen, go ahead and take your last topic, which is I'll get it on the screen here. Um, negative team argument number two, Joseph Smith's offspring. We've got 10 minutes on the clock. Go ahead, guys. All right, where are the kids? The claim that Joseph Smith was a polygamist suffers from a glaring problem of paternity. Okay, Joseph was clearly virile. The man had nine conceptions with his legal wife, Emma. Many of the 30 or so other women Joseph was allegedly married to also had no problem getting pregnant. So stands the reason that if he were having sex with various women as husband and wives, the natural conclusion is that there would very likely have been children as a result. In fact, I think most honest observers would assume there would be many children. So there should have been at least a handful of little Josephs and Josephines running around in 1850s Utah, but there actually weren't. To be clear, there were claims that Joseph fathered polygamous children. Back in the 1800s, this would be very difficult to refute. Anyone could make such claims without much fear of being proven wrong. They would never have imagined being faced with something like DNA testing long after they were dead and buried. The most famous of these claims is probably Josephine Lyons. High profile case that some hoped would prove Joseph fathered polygamous children, but the result of the DNA testing proved something else entirely. That Brighamites were willing to misinterpret misrepresent, possibly outright lie about Joseph having sex with other women. Josephine reported that her mother made a deathbed claim that Josephine was the daughter of Joseph because of a sealing that had taken place between them. Now, one could argue Josephine simply misunderstood her mother, which is very possible, or her mother was knowingly implying something that was untrue. But however Josephine is connected to Joseph, it is not through biology. The DNA work done by geneticist Hugo Perigo has proven eight times now that supposed or rumored offspring of Joseph Smith were not actually his. You've got Arison Smith, Moroni Pratt, Zebulon Jacobs, Mosiah, and John Hancock, Oliver Buell, Don Alonzo Smith, and Josephine Lyons, all disproven decisively by DNA testing. 
It's too bad we couldn't get all these people booked for an episode with Jerry Springer because that would make for one heck of a show. The question must be asked, if Joseph Smith was sleeping with other women and they or others claim that he fathered children with them, why is there not a single verifiable child of Joseph's other than with Emma? If it's definitively proven now that several people lied or misled about fathering children with him, why would we not regard all claims of him sleeping with other women as suspect? If the mother of Josephine Lyons would give such an easily misinterpreted false impression from her deathbed, no less, why wouldn't other Brighamites do so? As we learned from Jeremy, we know that at least the Partridge sisters most likely lied on this topic as well. Now, it's a sad thought, but knowing what we know about Brighamite proclivity for stretching or fabricating truth, it's far from surprising to learn that at least some of them lied about bearing children from Joseph. Now, whether these were outright claims or just whispered rumors passed down the family line, all of the eight people studied were believed to be Joseph's children, and yet none of them possessed his genetic markers. It's certainly at least very odd, even if it doesn't exonerate Joseph fully. Joseph F. Smith, the nephew to Joseph Smith and a Brighamite, recognized that the lack of children was highly prob problematic. When he was asked, why did Joseph Smith the prophet have no polygamous children? Joseph F. Smith did not refute the premise of the question. Instead, he responded, because it would have been against the law of the state against bigamy. The children would have been proven to be his, or the mothers would have been condemned for illicit intercourse. Rather tellingly, Joseph F. Smith obviously did not believe the claims or rumors of women in Utah to have birthed children of Joseph's. Otherwise, his response would have been he did have polygamous children, but he didn't say that. If Joseph F. Smith didn't believe such claims, even as a devoted Brighamite, why should we? And actually, Joseph F. Smith at least heavily implies that, jo that uh, Joseph Smith wasn't even having sex with other women because if he had, he would have risked breaking the law of Illinois by getting one of them pregnant. Joseph F. Smith knew that it was easier to admit there were no children, and by extension, possibly not even sex, than it was to defend illegitimate claims regarding Joseph's alleged polygamous children. It's too bad the other Brighamites didn't follow his lead because it would have saved Hugo Perigo a lot of unnecessary DNA testing to prove the claims as false. Now, I appreciate Joseph F. Smith's candor, but even still, his response is duplicitous because we know that after Joseph's death, there were about 14 polygamous births in Illinois from the Brighamite adherents before they went west. Question one must ask is, if the policy was to not risk having kids, polygamous kids, in order to avoid criminal charges, why would that change with Joseph's death? If anything, that would make it even riskier than before. Also, is it not odd that there are only a couple of possible polygamous births before Joseph's death, but then over a dozen births in the two years that followed his death? It's almost as if the Brighamites were emboldened to practice polygamy more openly when they dared not do so as long as Joseph was there to oppose them. Joseph F. Smith is not the only candid Brighamite on this topic. You've got George Reynolds the secretary of the first presidency, he admitted that the lack of children is a, quote, great mystery to us. He says, the reason generally signed by the plural wives themselves is that owing to the peculiar circumstances by which they were surrounded, they were so nervous and in such constant fear that they did not conceive. Now for Reynolds, it's not that there wasn't a lot of sex going on, it's that the women were just too stressed. Here again, we've got a prominent Brighamite conceding that there were no children conceived by Joseph's plural wives. I wonder what he knew that made him skeptical of the various claims and rumors. 
Also, how absurd is it to think that the plural wives became less nervous and less fearful after Joseph and Hiram were murdered? Otherwise, how could we use Reynolds' logic to explain the polygamous baby boom after their deaths? Of course, the truth is Reynolds' argument is silly. Women can conceive in various states of stress and fear. But he demonstrates the mental gymnastics required by the Brighamites to explain the stunning lack of polygamous children during Joseph's life, despite something like 25 men working to father children with 40 or so polygamous wives, supposedly. Even more strange, Joseph Smith, whose wife Emma was pregnant with his child when he was killed, was unable to impregnate even one of his 30-something plural wives. Now, obviously, some may say this is a logical fallacy, since even though there are no provable children with anyone besides Emma, it doesn't prove that there are no as yet undiscovered children that would fit the bill. But that's not really the point here. The point is, Joseph has been convicted without adequate proof. If you want to believe he was having sex with other women, that's anyone's right. But in order to be honest, you must admit that you are doing so with no proof that he did this, other than impeachable witnesses who even the Brighamites themselves often failed to find credible. You're also doing so with a rather inconvenient lack of offspring during Joseph's lifetime, and then a sudden increase that oddly coincides with his death as if the cat was away so the mice were now free to play wife swap without fear. Some claim Joseph had mastered 1800s-style contraception or even used forced abortions to cover up his illicit sex. I suppose that's possible, but this argument seems to arise as a convenient way to explain away the lack of kids rather than being based in historical evidence. Yet others claim Joseph was simply too busy to father children with other women. Now, to be clear, they say he had time for a little illicit sex, just enough for us to call him a polygamist, but apparently not enough to make babies with any of these women. Notice the shifting goalposts. The Brighamites want us to believe the women who claim to have had sex or even fathered children with Joseph, but then they claim Joseph was too busy to be spending time on such things. So which one is it? Apparently it's one argument when it's convenient and the other when it's not. It's an awfully convenient needle Joseph is threading for the Brighamites. He's not too busy to scout for, to groom, and to stand in for ceremonies with various women but he's just too busy to have sex with all but a select few. One has to wonder what the point would be of marrying 30 uh, women if only a few would be his wife in actual deed, especially since the central claim of the point of plural marriage is supposedly to raise up seed. Yet where are the seed? On the other hand, Brigham Young and his adherents, they clearly had time for making babies. In fact, they got to work right away as soon as Joseph was killed. I wonder why they weren't too busy for it. I wonder if that means they perhaps had different priorities than Joseph did. Or if Joseph really was a master at terminating pregnancies, why did his adherents can not continue to practice after his death? If Joseph Smith has a superpower, it's that he can become whatever his critics need him to be to fit the narrative they've created for him. Joseph Smith did apparently have time for intimacy with Emma, enough to leave her as a pregnant widow. Again, awfully strange. I suppose she was the lucky one while the 30 or so second-class wives had to make do with furtive glances when they could budget. Or maybe, just maybe, he wasn't having sex with other women, which would, of course, easily explain the lack of offspring. Maybe whatever he was doing was just what he said in the King Follett discourse. He was being crafty and sealing other people to help get them into heaven. Now, maybe someday DNA evidence changes this story and flips the script, but that day is not today. There's really only one way to know if a man who was allegedly married to over 30 women did the deed with any of them, and that would be a living, breathing offspring witness. 
There is no such witness, so we must accept the possibility that Joseph never attempted this. If he did try, he was not very good at it, except when he was with Emma. That's it. All right, I got the timer run out. Very good. Okay, so um, now we are going to do a rebuttal to this. So this is the last of the, the formal structured debate. Um, each side presented twice, and each, each side will have a chance to rebut each of the arguments of the other team. So the last one we're going to do is um, a rebuttal to this last argument about Joseph Smith's offspring. And uh, we'll bring the affirmative team back on. Hey. Mark, Mark and Jacob, welcome back. Um, we're going to give you five minutes. Okay, there's my last slideshow, the one about offspring. I actually have a slideshow for this one. I'll tell you what, I, will, <clears throat> I won't start the clock until we get everything rolling. Okay, well, I'll, I'll start with this and saying that, um, that of the uh, children that were supposedly just, that have been tested for DNA, only one of them was there any evidence that their mother made any kind of um, any kind of claim or any kind of thing that could be interpreted to mean that they were children of Joseph Smith. Like, for example, Zebulon Jacobs, his mother, Zena Huntington Jacobs, she never claimed that Zebulon was Joseph's child. It was just tested because his, uh, because his birth almost, but not quite, coincided with, uh, with Zena's uh, marriage date to Joseph. It's actually quite a bit before. And so he, with the exception of Josephine Lyons, none of them were really good candidates to begin with. And the, the women themselves, or even those close to them, or even the first generation, never claimed that they were. And um, in the case of Josephine Lyons, she says there in the affidavit, what we have is a 1915 statement that's a secondhand retelling of an, of an 1888 uh, statement where she says that where Josephine was told by her mother that her father that she was Joseph's child because her father was out of fellowship with the church at the time of her birth. Now, what is, does that could be taken to mean a lot of ways? I, I think in a lot of ways, and we know from many of her younger siblings believe that because their father was out of fellowship with the church that they were Joseph's ch child, even though physically it was impossible. So, no, I don't believe she was saying that she was by, Joseph's biological child. There's a lot of ways that could be interpreted. To just say that she was lying is jumps to a very specific conclusion when there are multiple valid interpretations of that. So what this is, what I have up here in the slide, I actually um, looked at this to see about, about what are the chances that Joseph could have not uh, had a child with one of his poor wives. Uh, this is a study that was done. Uh, there's a few studies that have been done. They said that uh, there's a short, there's a window of about six days during a woman's cycle during the month in which she, which conception is possible. At the height of that, according to this, then she has about a 30, a 36% chance of conceiving. And so in order to conceive a child, it has to hit that window and it has to hit, and, and during that window, it has to uh, hit that probability. Now, with a monogamous couple where they are having sexual relations on a regular basis, this is very easy. But Joseph's relations with his wives would not have been that. At the most, it would have been sporadic here and there. And rarely, if ever, would he have had sex with them, with one of them, twice in one month. And so it would have been sporadic and the, the chances of it would be really low. But here, I ran, I uh, talked to the statistician, we ran some numbers. If you want to get to the next slide, Mark. Um, and so the possibility from a single encounter is about a 5.6% chance of a single encounter that's done randomly without regard to ovulation. And, and um, so with 12 encounters, 
there's about a 50 50 chance at 24 that then there's about a 75 there's about 24 percent chance that there would be no children and at 40 there's about 10. now we don't know very much at all about the um about the frequency uh, or the number of wives that he was intimate with we just don't know and so when i talked to the statistician about it he said too even this looking at this would be problematic there's a number of if you want to get to the next uh, slide so i gotta be fast with this there's a lot of information in this um, the conception might be more likely if there's greater than average fertility or if there's more sexual encounters in the same, uh, with the same woman in the same month. But here's another thing is that miscarriage is a big thing on that study that I, that I showed earlier, that those are, those are, that those are impregnate, that those are conceptions without regard to miscarriage. There's about a third of those are miscarried. Most of those miscarriages happen within the first month before the woman even knows she's pregnant. But something also that this physician told me is that to just do this kind of, um, to just try to use statistics to say that it just is unlikely is very problematic. You see, even if he had, um, even if he had 40 sexual encounters, there's a good chance that 10% right there, there's a 10% chance that there wouldn't be a child and that wouldn't be a statistical anomaly. To just, uh, to just uh, count that, to just look at that and say that's impossible, you wouldn't do that. A statistician would never do that. That's what he, um, that's what he told me, that's a, um, I've learned a lot about how statistics works doing that. Anyway, I'm going on a children with, with uh, I disagree with Leo about the um, number of children that were born or conceived during Joseph's lifetime. Uh, there's, there's, um, there's four that we know that were born while Joseph was alive. And then there's like, uh, or, or at least, no, there's three at least. And then there's Henry Kimball was just, what had to been conceived while Joseph was alive, as would John Young, as would Catherine Flenshaw. I ran the numbers. I don't have them up here, but that there wasn't a, a big baby boom. That was immediately after. I disagree with that. I uh, believe that that there was a that there was a natural increase that that came about with more polygamists coming as more people entering polygamy. There were a number of these men where the situations had changed. There was no longer the anti-polygamy element in the church. There was a big boom once they know in 1845 that they have to leave Nauvoo, and that. Um, yeah. Okay. We're done. Do you want to finish your last sentence, Mark? Go ahead. Um, no, I think I think that's about it. I don't think I'd cover everything that we had in here. So that's okay. Remember, there's closing remarks or three minutes each. Okay. So feel free to continue there. Um, but just yeah, trying to be fair to both teams on the timing. Um, yeah, this was a technical error on my part or something like that. So awesome. So um, we're going to get ready for closing remarks. I wanted to remind you guys that we're doing a second. Oh. We're doing a second debate in about three weeks. And the topic of that one is going to be, did Joseph Smith teach polygamy, which is a little bit different than tonight. Is he involved in it tonight is what we're trying to figure out. Did he have sex? Did he produce offspring? Were there, you know, legitimate witnesses of those relationships that were carnal in addition to spiritual maybe? Um, and so in three weeks, join us um, in the comments below. You'll see a link to the other one in the description. Make sure you sign up and put the reminder there for in three weeks time. We're going to talk about DNC 132, the high council minutes. All of these things about Joseph teaching it in secret or in public, we're going to get into that one in a couple of weeks. And so, um, and as we prepare for final statements, remember to put in the comments any of your questions you want featured right after the closing remarks. We're going to open it up to live Q&A. And we're going to get everybody back on the screen here for the closing statements. And we will start with, let's see, we had Mark Tensmeyer up first. Mark, um, we're going to give you three minutes to continue your train of thought or to, to summarize anything you'd like. Ready? Go. I'm on mute, think. Okay, I'm on. All right. 
Yeah, so that last slide, as you can see, it was a it was a quote from a letter from Belay Kimball, where she said that she had heard that Joseph Bates Noble and his wife Sarah were having a baby, and that they she thought that she was just impressed by that. She said they have more faith than we do. I don't know how we would pull that off, but after that happened, after like after people like the Nobles had crossed that barrier, they crossed that divide, then um, Sarah and uh, or then Valet and Heber, then they had a baby soon after that with, uh, with well, Heber and Sarah, his poor wife, had a baby soon after that. And uh, a lot of their situations were different. William Clayton, he had a wife that lived with him in his home. Uh, other people like Brigham Young, we don't know. Um, and we know in the case of Joseph Smith that his, that his wife, Emma, did not approve, and uh, so which, which is not the case with Valet Kimball. So just in general, I uh, want to point out again that um, – this idea that these were originally these platonic ceilings, we're probably gonna go into this in later debates, I hope we do, but these were platonic ceilings that were later reinterpreted to being um, to being these uh, carnal polygamy or whatever you wanna call it. There's very little positive evidence that that's what happened. That no, people that were there didn't say that's what happened and, and including those who were not Bergamites uh, said that that's what happened. And we have a lot of documentary evidence to say that they were in fact, uh, that they were wives and that sexual relations could be involved not to the extent that they actually were is is an open question but we know that to some degree they were in a lot of cases uh well and it's really just the culture of the day it, it was very rare that anybody really talked about sexual relations especially women a case like the temple lot case where they where they were made to testify under oath because it was there is one of the only contexts i can think of where it was being done and uh, by the way, on that, I disagree with the interpretation that Judge Phillips did not um, did not believe them. He says either they he says it would ordinarily be un, it would ordinarily be uncharitable to dismiss their testimony. And he said there's other circumstances. And he, and he lists the contemporary denials and lists the lack of pregnancies as reasons why that would discount them. But he says if they were, they would be at most sports and nest hiding. And by that, that's a phrase that would mean. Um, that they were having extramarital affairs. What he ruled is that Joseph Smith's activities, if he had any, were not according to church law, which was relevant for the case. He said it's possible Joseph could have been a secret polygamist, he might not have been. He was wishy-washy about that, he didn't rule on that. And so, and because he understood that you, that to just demand, um, to demand the kind of evidence that we're demanding here, you got to, you have to have reasonable expectations and reasonable demands when you're talking about um, evidence of, of sex for somebody who's dead. You. That's all I got for that. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Um, up next for final remarks, we've got um, Leo. Let's see, Leo, we're going to give you full screen. You got three minutes starting now. Go ahead. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so first, I, I guess I want to say uh, thanks to Mark and Jacob for, yeah. for doing this debate. I really appreciate you guys. I, I value your opinions. I respect you guys a lot. Um, <clears throat> it does feel a little bit like this debate is kind of a, it's a heads I win, tails you lose. It's like, um, okay, maybe we can't prove Joseph had sex or had babies, yeah, but he's still true. a polygamist, right? It's like um, <clears throat> you get him you get him one way or the other. Uh, and I, do, I don't really think that's fair or, or realistic. I mean, either he was doing what Brigham Young continued or he wasn't right um and in this in this debate it's kind of like if we find proof of sex great but if we don't well he's still a polygamist he's still a, you know doing plural marriage right you're using in my opinion witnesses that have impeached themselves you know they get kind of labeled as merely you know problematic 
Um, but it just it doesn't change the fact Joseph was a polygamist, right? Um, I feel like you're relying on witness testimony from the likes of like John Bennett, right? John Bennett is like a universal scoundrel. The guy had abandoned his wife and kids in another city, goes to Nauvoo, works his way into a position of power and immediately uses it to have sex with other women. Uh, and yet we're going to, you know, like rely on him for witness testimony. He hates Joseph Smith's guts. It's like trying to, it's like asking Amber Heard what we should think about Johnny Depp, right? It's just kind of, kind of a silly thing to ask. Um, there's a lot of reliance on decades old testimony. Often it's nothing more than hearsay, you know, often second, third, fourth hand stuff. The contemporary evidence that is there is often presented as something it's not. All right. It's often presented as something that's really strong, ironclad, something like a smoking gun. But you look closely and it's not. And a lot of times it's something that really works against your case, but it's being, being presented as something that helps your case. An example of this would be Brigham Young's journal um, and the Whitney letter. Both. I mean, for me, it seems very clear that the context around those actually hurts your case. It does not help your case. Um, so I think that the smoking guns are oftentimes like the presented smoking guns, but they're actually not, um, you know, the thing about conception, you know, there, there's that old saying, there are lies, damned lies and statistics, you know, like Joseph somehow statistically couldn't make the babies, but Brigham Young and the others could, right. It just happens to work out like that. I guess it's, that's why it's a heads. I win tails. You lose. Joseph is a polygamist, whether he had sex or whether he didn't, he's a polygamist, whether he had babies with other women or not. Right. Um, so I think I think that's something that we'll see in other debates as well as we continue the topic, that some of the source material is definitely more compelling than others. And um, and I think if we if we rely on what's really compelling, the case gets very thin, very fast for uh, the case that Joseph Smith was actually a practicing polygamist, a la Brigham Young and um, the others like him. So uh, that's all I've got. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thank you. All right. Very good. Okay, final remarks. That was Leo. And we're going to put um, Jacob Vedrine up next. He's part of the affirmative team on the question tonight. Um, let me reset the timer to three minutes. Jacob, take it away. All right. Yeah, I appreciate the chance to do this in a debate format. And just to kind of wrap up a few points, I would add on the lack of offspring is that Hiram himself at the April 1844 General Conference made the comment about warning about the dangers of polygamy in that one is enough. I warn you all not to attempt it. If a man should begin to find out, you would get into some cell in Alton. So the, the threat of going to jail was a very real possibility. And the eyes were really strongly upon church leaders. And so it's actually totally fitting that the first polygamists who actually have children, William Clay and Joseph B. Nobles, that you know these were guys who weren't going to be closely watched as much as, say, Brigham Young or Joseph Smith, and that the leaders were waiting for a better time to do it. Like Lucy Walker said that Joseph told her that when they got a settlement in the Rocky Mountains, then he would be able to live openly with her as a, as a wife. And um, you might say that's just a late 1880 statement, but Oliver only agreed with it, that, saying that language was being talked about in 1842. So Another comment, Orson Hyde said, what would it have done for us if they had known that many of us had more than one wife when we lived in Illinois? They would have broken us up doubtlessly worse than they did. So the reason for the baby boom after Joseph Smith's death in 1845, first of all, I would say the polygamy you know, really, really didn't start big time until 1842 and 1843. So you only had one or two years to have the potential chance of conception. And on top of that, 
1845, they are, you know, the Nauvoo charters revoked and they're planning on leaving Nauvoo. So it isn't a surprise that that isn't a concern anymore. And they start are being more okay having children. So on the subject again of the later witnesses, Orange White did not say that his mother told him that, um, uh, that Flora Woodworth was a plural wife of Joseph Smith. Flora Woodworth's mother told him that, and that is significant. He was courting her. He was spending time with her and he was interested in her as a wife until she told her him that. And for that reason, he had to back off from her. And on the subject of William Marks, I would just say the pu statement published by E.C. Briggs alleging that Jason Briggs was told a denial by William Marks is not published until the 1900s, decades after um, his brother, Jason Briggs, has died. And the contemporary journal entry for that note is, has nothing to do with William Marks. It wasn't an interview with Marks. And so you have to wonder where E.C. Briggs gets that from. And I would say with William Marks, you aren't going off of um, later, you know, it's not third hand, it's not second hand. He's saying for himself in that first letter in the 1850s that I saw Joseph Smith introduce a kingly form of government, which I wasn't a fan of, right after he says that he saw the doctrine of polygamy introduces a doctrine of exaltation of the church. And so William Marks was given a firsthand statement in that regard. So um, yeah, that's all I have to say. I would just add that it's, um, you know, hard to go over all the evidence in a short period of time. So. Oh, it is. I wish we had 10, 10 hours to do this, but uh, there is a part two coming up and hopefully we can keep these things going. Um, thanks everybody so far. The last one to give a final, um, what are we calling this? Final remarks is going to be Jeremy on the negative team. Go ahead, Jeremy. You got three minutes. I also want to thank Mark and Jacob. I think the two of the more fair-minded, um, honest brokers in terms of their, their analysis of the source material. Um, and again, like, like Jacob said, this topic's far too big to cover here. We're only really covering one topic is was Joseph a practicing polygamist. And, and in our view, there's only one way to determine that. And that's to determine if he was doing what Brigham Young was doing. And there simply is no evidence of that. There's only tales of it. That's all there is. And to say anything else is not intellectually honest. And we actually agree with Joseph Smith III when he said after his interview with Melissa Lott, he said <clears throat> the interview had convinced me that the statement made in an affidavit of this Melissa Lott Willis published by Joseph F. Smith, along with others of similar import to the fact that she had been married to Joseph Smith, was not true, provided the words married be construed as conveying the right of living together as man and wife, a relation she had unequivocally denied in my presence. I was convinced that wherever the word married or sealed occurred in such testimonials regarding my father, it meant nothing more than that possibly those women had gone through some sort of ceremony or covenant which they had intended as, as an arrangement or association in the world to come could by no means have any reference whatever to marital rights in the flesh. And really, this comes down to an issue of credibility. What group do you believe? Do you believe Joseph's enemies who wanted to destroy him at all costs? Do you believe Joseph, Emma, and Hiram who said the following? For example, Emma, on March 9th, 1844, she published in the vo uh, Voice of Innocence, Wherefore, while the marriage bed undefiled is honorable, let polygamy, bigamy, fornication, adultery, and prostitution be frowned out of the honest hearts of honest men to drop into the gulf of fallen nature, where the worm dieth not and the fires is, fire is not quenched. And let all the saints say amen. Hiram, on April 6th, 1844, in an hour and a half sermon on this subject, said, For a man to go into the world and talk of this spiritual wife system, a man is as empty as an open sepulcher. I would call 
the devil, my brother, before such a man. The idea of marrying for eternity is the seal and the covenant, and it is easily understood. As speaking of it, I could make all the world believe it. It's noble and grand. We don't want bogus makers, counterfeiters, or counterfeiters or preachers of the spiritual wife system. And Joseph on May 26, 1844, said, What a thing it is for a man to be accused of committing adultery and having seven wives when I can only five, find one. Or are we going to believe people like Brigham Young, who called Emma a devil, said she uh, was guilty of trying to kill Joseph twice by poisoning and wouldn't even obey the own re the revelation he claimed came from Joseph. The man married his first two wives who were married at the time to other men. The man married Zina Young in the presence of her husband, uh, Henry Jacobs. She was pregnant with Henry's baby. She didn't divorce him. He would go on to father children with that woman. Are we going to believe Brigham and a people who had as their mantra, it is right and good to lie for the Lord? Very good. Okay, that closes the final remarks section. And like almost everybody here feels, some of them have said it, there's there's just so much to cover, um, more than we can do tonight on tonight's show. But hopefully this was a really good introductory argument from both sides. Very well-crafted arguments. We showed a lot of source material. Um, and these guys, you know, regularly have honest and open and respectful conversations. And that was the number one factor why I chose these four gentlemen tonight to join the show in this debate, because... They can engage in the topics without the name calling, without the hard feelings. They're both, they're all, uh, both sides are, are, are very mature about it. And, and honestly, the Hemlock Nuts channel on Facebook is a place where we have open dialogues and discussions like this. We try to pour over the source material and figure out what happened. None of us were there. I don't think anybody in that group pretends to have all the answers. Um, lesser known fact about me as the moderator tonight, I'm undecided. I'm willing to accept either one if the evidence were to show me in a convincing way. Um, and so, you know, that's why I wanted to be the moderator tonight instead of instead of engaging in the debates. But hopefully you enjoyed this. And um, right now we're going to move into questions and answers. So please put your questions in the comments below. And we're going to scroll through to the beginning of the show and see um, what kinds of comments we can have here. So give me just a moment to to find a few of these guys. And I'll try to distribute them evenly. Let's try to do like a rapid. I know it's hard to, to do quick answers on some of these, but let's try to keep it to, you know, 15, 30 seconds, maybe quick answers. Um, if there's sources that you'd like people to go to to learn more about it, feel free to tell them where the audience can, can go to learn more. Um, I'm going to try to find the first question here. Let's see. Okay, here's one from Terminus Electron. To the affirmative team, um, that would be Mark and Jacob. Was deception for survival acceptable within Joseph Smith's theology? And either one of, yes. one of you can take that. I would say yes, and that's in the book of Abraham, where it strengthens the account in Genesis where it talks about how Abraham lied saying that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife in order because he thought it would risk his life. The book of Abraham strengthens that by saying that God commanded him and told him to say that she was his sister. And so I would say, yes, there's evidence of that is in Joseph's theology. 
Fantastic. Um, here's one for the negative team, and I'll try to get these as balanced as I can for, for both teams. Um, this one says, this is from Trevor Larson. He wants to know, what are your thoughts about Joseph deeding property over to Sarah Ann Whitney? Is that not evidence that she was a plural wife? Leo or um, Jeremy? Jeremy, do you have much to say on that one? I, I would say absolutely not. Um, there's no evidence that... Um, giving a gift is an evidence of someone being a wife. Uh, Joseph, for example, one of the reasons he had people living in the mansion house was because, for example, the Partridge sisters, uh, their father had passed away. So he brought the girls into the home <clears throat> to work in the home, to care for the children, to, to clean the home, to do things um, uh, in the capacity of basically servant girls, um, as he did with Fanny Alger, as a kindness to them. And if you'll notice in their testimonies, the first things they say is Emma and Joseph were so, so kind to us. And that was a way of helping them. And they assisted with these women who had lost their parents or whose parents were indigent on many, many occasions. Uh, if indeed she was sealed to him in some capacity, um, the fact that he deeded something to her is not evidence of anything. It's just uh, that that's a coincidence and nothing more. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Benjamin Winfield wants to know, what's the reasoning behind sex being the only means of determining polygamy? Is it because it's so hard to prove who had sex 150 years ago? Anybody? Is that for us, I assume, or who do you think that's for? Uh, let's, go with Sounds the, like let's go with the other team, the, the affirmative okay. team. What do you guys think? No, I, I think that's for the negative team. Okay, yeah, I think it is. Take it. Yeah, I mean, so... I guess the question, well, so kind of a central question for the uh, Jeremy, I, Jeremy and I is, is it possible something else was going on? Not polygamy, not plural marriage, right? There is evidence. Mark said no one on the other side makes those claims, but that's that's not really true. There are people, Jeremy read a quote from Joseph Smith III, um, you've got Whitehead at least, and a few others that do say there's something happening. It's the ceiling thing. You also have Joseph and Hiram's own public words, right? They're saying, hey, there is this idea of sealing people. spouse who had passed on that's not plural marriage guys that's just getting sealed to your your the woman or the husband that you love who's no longer with you right so sex is a critical factor here that's what brigham young did brigham young had um, sexual plural marriage with multiple women and so did those who followed him and they claim joseph smith did the same thing so if he didn't if you can show you know what there's actually not a lot of proof for that then yeah, it's proof that Joseph Smith was doing something, but that it very well could not have, or perhaps was not actually plural marriage or a polygamy, right? So that's why it's kind of a, for us at least, a critical question about, okay, where are the kids? Where's the proof that there was actually sex? Because if those things are not there, then it's very likely, very possible that, that something else was going on here besides polygamy, and it was ceilings. Especially given that Emma, Joseph, and Hiram vociferously denied it. Right. Oh, you're muted, Mark. It's always embarrassing. All right. For the affirmative team, how do you get around Joseph, Lee, Joseph publicly being against it? Who wants that one? Mark or Jacob? <clears throat> Both of you. Just take about 15, 30 seconds. Oh, you're muted. Sorry, Mark. Start over. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I can, uh, I can show you quotes from... 
uh, public and private, from people like Parley Pratt, from Brigham Young, from even William Clayton, well into the late 1840s that are that also come out vehemently denying it. It's what people did who were doing polygamy. And uh, I get around that because that's what the evidence shows. I mean, theologically, we might not like that. Uh, we might not like because we like Joseph. But if the evidence says that's what he did, then that's what he did. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'm looking for, there's questions about all kinds of things in here. I'm skimming through them. Yeah, a lot of let's repetition, I'm sure. Yeah, let's try this. And a lot of people are talking to each other. They're not asking questions for the show. But um, okay. is the contemporary evidence for Joseph's polygamy as strong as that for angelic restoration of priesthood authority prior to 1834? It was one of the few questions. So uh, answer it or skip it. Is that too theological at this point? Oh, no, that's an evidence question. I'll take it sure. real quick. Um, Go ahead. Um, good question. It's, it's kind of, I mean, angelic restoration, you're right, because there's not really much. There's little hints at it prior to 1834, um, whereas um, with polygamy, there is contemporary, there's contemporary documentation. There's also denial of it, though. Um, I don't think the issue is that there's contemporary is, uh, evidence of polygamy. I think it's just, is it? Is it reliable? It, uh, how do we weigh it against denials? So um, it's kind of an apples and oranges situation. I don't know that I'd really compare those two. Okay, very cool. I am uh, I'm trying to find questions much faster. Let's see. Question for the negative. We've had one from Benjamin before, but he says for the negative team, um, let's do, Jeremy, you want to take the first stab at this one? If they were just ceilings for eternity, why were they sealed as wives? Oh, there's no evidence that they were. Uh, I, I quibble with what with the idea that this we want to call this evidence. What we have is we have statements from Brigham Young and his followers decades after the fact that Joseph was sealed as wives. There is no not a single record during the time that indicates and proves that that took place. That that he was sealed as wives to these women. In fact, there's no evidence that he was sealed. Period. Joseph said nothing. We, what we have are statements later on, and so we have to parse through those statements and see what they mean. Now, the Brighamites interpreted it, and they can they conflated sealing with marriage. Lorenzo Snow did this. He in his Temple Lot testimony, he says, "When I met with Joseph, he said that he was married to my uh, my sister Eliza." Well, actually, he didn't say he was married to her. He said he was sealed to her. And I never heard anything from Joseph about polygamy, but I had a great testimony of it because I learned about it in England, and I had a testimony of it in England. Well, the problem with all of this is that. Are they do they understand what Joseph was doing? Are they lying about it? Is a combination of both? I submit that there is no evidence that Joseph was sealed as sealed them as wives. There is compelling evidence that he was sealing people, I believe, uh, or at least there's enough in the in the waters from Joseph's son and from others that says that he was doing something. But Joseph never explained it. And we have simply no idea other than the statements of a people who had built their entire world around this principle. And they, they defied the U.S. government on this principle. And the U.S. government came in over and overthrew them on this principle. They were like a, an army bent on, uh, on defending the invasion of the barbarian horde when it came to this. And so they would and did say anything to support it. And they, they practiced uh, or, or rather they turned Joseph into doing something that they themselves were doing. That's all there is to it. 
You guys might have covered this already, but is there DNA evidence to prove that Joseph Smith fathered more than nine children? That's I'm just throwing any questions. I, can uh, find this I think that's probably a sarcastic question directed at the uh, negative yeah. side. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking for more. One second. Let's see. How about I'm going to take some comments because there's a lot of really good comments back and forth. How about like Patrick Morris and a bunch of people are talking about the idea of um, Sydney was excommunicated because he disagreed with polygamy. Is there any merit to that at all? Let's let's get somebody from the affirmative team to take first stab at that one. Jacob? Um, I, I, I would say yeah. I, I specialize. I really like the trial of Sydney Rigdon. If mm -hmm. you look at the trial for Sydney Rigdon, he's saying that. The, 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 and it's Newell K. Whitney and the Nauvoo High Council who cuts him off. And it's for illegal temple ordinances. He is anointing men as prophets, priests, and kings without authorization. And John Taylor and the other members of the 12, Brigham Young, etc., were there as witnesses against Sidney Rigdon. And Rigdon and his followers didn't show up. And so they, the High Council ended up just excommunicating for it. But it was mostly over temple ordinances. But I would on the comment of Sidney Rigdon and polygamy, I would admit that polygamy was a big factor between the separation between um, the 12 and Sidney Rigdon, and that Sidney Rigdon accused the 12 of doing polygamy, and he also accused Joseph of being involved with polygamy. So yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, awesome. I'm still scanning uh, for some more. Okay, you guys, I'm going to go to the most recent questions. If, you, if you've if posted a question earlier that you want featured, just go ahead and type it again. I'm going to start skimming from the, the bottom of the pack here, the most recent ones. There's a lot of comments on here. Yeah, it's a, it's a bee's nest of conversation, which is great. Um, here's one from Justin Andrews. I didn't get the full context. Um, they claimed Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet. Why? Um, I don't know if that's... Does that have to do with? Uh, I mean, is that directed towards us, like the the so what, I'll tell you what. Why don't we just talk about like the William Marks thing, which okay. was brought up. I you think know, that's William Marks did about. say that you know yeah. Joseph may have repented of it, or he did repent of it. Can we talk about that angle and that and that argument? Well, um, in the first place, Jacob and I on this, we're we're just answering one question, one question only: Is Joseph Smith the polygamist? We're not asking the question or answering the question: Is polygamy a good thing or a bad thing? Is Brigham Young a good guy or a bad guy? Is he the proper? Oh, I mean, we're so questions like I mean, I don't even think we're really here to answer the question: Is this polygamy something Joseph Smith like didn't regret? Or and so I, I mean, I I would look at the I would look at the uh, Mark statement as as possible evidence that it was something that he regretted. I, I'm open to that possibility and wanted to go back, but um, there's there's a lot of interpretations of that. It's possible that Joseph. Uh, knowing that Marx knows that he's a polygamist, said that to um, placate him because he he didn't he didn't want to turn around. It could be that Joseph really meant that at the time, but then changed his mind later. I think there's a lot of ways to interpret that, uh, but we bring it up because in doing that, Joseph did acknowledge that he was a polygamist. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, thank you, Mark. Um, Jared Salisbury says for the negative team, um, let's do let's give Leo first crack at this if he wants it. If ceilings were just about forming dynamic dynastic connections, then why did Sarah Ann Whitney consider her ceiling to Joseph to quote, take her off the market and quote, she couldn't go on dates or to dances. Yeah. I mean, I assume this is coming from, you know, maybe the temple law case or something like that or something late, some late reminiscence or something. 
Um, and I, you know, again, th so that's the problem with those late reminiscences is man, they're, they are, they're problematic is a good word, um, because it's fit when you go back in and uh, look at actual known facts and then compare it to what they're testifying about. So you don't know, you know, is this just one of those things like lying for the Lord? You know, we know they believed in this concept, you know, and, and, and 18, in 1800s, Brigham's version of Utah. Um, what determines if something is true is not whether it actually happened or not. The determination of whether something is true is if it increases your belief that Brigham Young is a true prophet or that his you know, version of Mormonism is the true and correct version of Mormonism. That makes it true. It doesn't matter if it is actually true or not. Okay, so you know, adding a, a detail like this to a story, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know that it's actually true, right? Did she really believe she was off the market back then or did she just kind of add this idea you know in, in her older age in order to um, buffer um, kind of buff up this narrative that she was a true plural wife of Joseph Smith awesome okay we have one specifically for Jacob Vidrain being called out here on this question Jacob uh, go ahead can you theologically distinguish between the law of adoption and plural marriage ceilings Yes, I can. And just as Brigham Young did, you know, when we look at the evidence of the law of adoption, it's one of my favorite principles to study in early Mormonism. I would just say there is no evidence of men claiming to be sealed to Joseph Smith in his lifetime. The earliest male to male sealing involving Joseph Smith that we have record of is John Bernheisel in the Nauvoo Temple in January of 1846. And that's a proxy sealing, obviously, because Joseph is dead. And so Brigham Young and the other saints in winter quarters in early Utah were doing both law of adoption and plural marriage sealings. The women who were sealed to Joseph Smith in the Nauvoo Temple by proxy ratifying um, those sealings were sealed in the book of proxy sealings, which is a record of man to male to female mar marriage sealings and not adoption sealings. There's a different book that was used to keep track of what records that were law of adoption sealings in the Nauvoo temple. So I would say, yes, you can distinguish between the two. Very good. Okay, cool. We actually got quite a few coming in now. So this is for the positive team, affirmative team. Did anyone else testify about having personal, independent, spiritual witnesses from heaven about the principle of plural marriage? Um, so is that like along the lines of what I talked about with like Lucy Walker? I, I assume that. I said that maybe yeah, I was I, asking like, did anyone else claim to get a direct revelation from heaven? About, about uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a few of them did. Yeah, Emily Partridge did. I know that. Um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner did. Um, off the top of my head, those are a couple. I'd have to look at more, but I think that, that, that I think those are those are a couple that did. Okay. Could Very I respond cool. to yeah. that? Could I respond to that question? Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Emily Partridge didn't say she received a testimony of the things that uh, of this principle, independent of number one, hearing whisperings about in Nauvoo for some okay. time. Okay. Joseph Smith never told her anything about it up until she says March 4th, 1843. She says that she learned about the principle from a Mrs. Durfee who told her all about it and explained the principles to her and said, I think Joseph wants you for a wife. Mm -hmm. And so there were whisperings going on. She said she waited through all this turmoil and tribulation and she would not accept a conversation with Joseph. She said Joseph wanted to say something to her and I'll, I'll give you a letter if you'll burn it. And who knows if that's true. 
But perhaps Joseph did want to explain something upon the, the, the lines of sealing to her. Perhaps. But Joseph never said a word. She said, I gained a testimony of the principles and I was ready to receive them, basically. I'm paraphrasing. It, that happened before her supposed marriage in March 4th, 1843. The question needs to be asked, why, why the hell would she need to be married twice? Okay, why? I mean, that's an interesting question on its own. But she says she received a testimony of the things that Mrs. Durfee had said. Okay, and the things she had heard whispered about, not anything Joseph had ever explained because he had never explained a word to her. Lorenzo Snow said he did receive, he said he, uh, it was revealed to him in England. What does that mean? Did somebody tell him about it or was it revealed by heaven? Brigham Young did say, I received by vision and the spirit the principles of, of plural marriage while in England before Joseph ever said a word. So we do have some people receiving independent of Joseph ever saying a word testimonies of the principle of the plurality of wives or spiritual wifery, as they called it then, by the way, Emily Partridge says, as they called it in those days. They received a, a testimony of that, independent of Joseph ever saying a word. One has to ask the question, why were they getting that independently? Was that from the same angel that Joseph uh, got or from some other source? All right, cool. So let's move on to the next one. Jeffrey Bowler says, question, Joseph said on May 26, 1844, um, that he had only one wife, and those saying he had more wives were perjurers, liars. Do you believe Joseph, or do you think he was lying? Anybody? I, I think I, I think that was a carefully worded denial where he said, you know, what a, what a thing it is to be accused of having seven wives when I can only find one. And so that's my position on that, is that he was very careful in his wording of that. Okay, awesome. Let's go to the next one. Justin Andrews wants to know, if Joseph Smith didn't live polygamy, why were close friends like William Law and Oliver Cowdery so frustrated with Joseph? Enough to leave the church, but still believe in the Book of Mormon. I don't know which side that's for. Yeah, you want to take um, a stab at this one? Leo? Or skip it? No, I, yeah. I, can, I cannot answer that. Or, Leo, uh, let's do sure, it. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, like, well, William Law, it depends on who you believe. If you believe William Law, yeah, he's this grand hero. He's He's out there to put his name and his life and his reputation on the line in order to expose this um, this uh, huge conspiracy to you know abuse women in Nauvoo by Joseph Smith and Hiram. All right, that's his view. Um, if you believe Joseph and Hiram, they say, well, actually, William Law is not all he seems to be. William Law was uh, you know committed adultery. We called him out for it. He initially repented, and then he goes scorched earth on us. Um, they say, kind of like John Bennett, they say, um, they say William Law is, uh, you know, out for power. He wants to run the show. He wants Joseph's spot and he's in it for financial gain. You know, he uh, uses He was actually pretty wealthy in Nauvoo, um, had some important uh, businesses and assets. And according to Joseph and Hiram, William Law used those things um, at the expense of the poor, abused them, price gouging, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, why did William Law leave? I don't know. Depends on who you believe. If you ask William Law, he left because of polygamy. If you ask Joseph and Hiram, um, he saw an, William Law saw an opportunity to, to get power and um, took a shot. Oliver Cowdery, um, you, know, there, you know, there are other people, a lot of the early church members, early witnesses, they left for various reasons. I don't know that they specifically stated any of them over polygamy. Now, there's some claims about Oliver Cowdery talking about this thing with Fanny Alger. Um, but I don't know. I think there are lots of reasons that Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and a lot of those witnesses left in the Missouri period. And that was more due to, I think, to the militancy of the Mormons um, in the Missouri period than, than anything related to polygamy. 
Okay, cool. Thank you, Leo. Um, Kimball Cody wants to know, excluding divine intervention, where and from, excluding divine intervention, where and from who do we see polygamy first being mentioned? Affirmative, you guys want to take a stab at that? Uh, like, first being mentioned, like, like in the maybe, church? Maybe, or? maybe historically, or, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, like the Bible, maybe? Um, earliest origins that you're aware of. Yeah, um, the Bible, um, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, as, in terms of influence in America, I mean, there's the Owenites that the, that Sidney Ridden is curling group that they have interaction with uh, prior to the, the church growing. There's the Concronites that a couple of missionaries have contact with. Um, in terms of, um, uh, there are some, there are some allegations in Kirtland that, uh, community that having communal living is, uh, connected to the, uh, is connected to having a community of wives. Uh, again, I think that's, I, I don't think there's any substance to those rumors that in Kirtland, uh, there's Fanny Alger, um, in Nauvoo, the first person I've, I, the first record I found of an accusation of Joseph being practiced polygamy, it's with, um, it's Martha Brotherton who makes the accusations. Um, the earliest record we have of it is Hiram responding to it in the April 1842 uh, conference. Uh, so she was making it before then. We don't get a detailed account of it until later, until she gets an affidavit with the Bennett. And we have the affidavit she, she, that uh, Bennett published. But um, we, do, we do have um, Hiram mentioning that she was, these were stories that she was telling that this was a, something she was talking about as um, as early as eight as April eighteen forty two. So it would have been around there. That's the first. That's the first um, specific allegation towards Joseph in Nauvoo that I've heard uh, about him being a polygamist. I've been able to find. Okay, awesome, very cool. Um, I'm just gathering a few more. Let's see. Hey, Mark, Mark Curtis, do you see yeah. uh, the question that Mark Tensmeyer posted? I did, yeah, in the, in the private chat. I can't find it to stick it on the screen, but I'll just um, let me just pull this one off. It, the, it's kind of, the, the topic kind of has been addressed. If we didn't, if we wanted to, oh, okay. I've got something to say on the subject. So why don't we say? So she's asking Christina Rossetti. Sorry, we can't find your comment. There's just so many, Christina. But um, in the private chat, uh, Mark told me this is a good one to ask. Why wouldn't women be sealed as daughters, much like the law of adoption sealed men as sons? If this wasn't polygamy, Jacob, go ahead. No, that's not for me. I oh, thought for, that was for Mark. I'll, I'll take. Mark? I'll take that. That's. Well, hold on, Mark. Uh, Mark requested the the question. You want to take first stab, Mark, or do you want someone else? He, he said um, I, think, I think that's a question that was directed towards the negative team. Okay. So I'll let um, you decide. Yeah, I, I have that question too. So, 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 in terms terms of the law of adoption, Jacob's right. There's there's no evidence that that Joseph was adopting men to himself or women as daughters. There's just no evidence. But. A lot of the same reasoning that ties Joseph to polygamy also ties to this, which is people's statements thereafter that people then interpret now. Okay, In terms of what Joseph was doing, we simply don't know. But here's a plausible explanation. According to Annaliza Webb in her book, in her book uh, 19th Wife, I believe, or Wife Number 19, <clears throat> she makes this really obscure statement. She says it was well known that in Nauvoo, that there were, I think she, she named 11, I don't know where she gets the number 11, but there were 11 women who were adopted as daughters to Joseph Smith living in the Nauvoo mansion. Hmm. And she also says that Fanny Alger was a, a known adopted daughter of Joseph Smith. Now, this woman had no 
experience with Joseph Smith. She was raised in, in, in Utah. She became a wife of Brigham Young and then divorced him and wrote the famous tell-all book, that, which she cobbles together all kinds of you know, um, negative statements about Joseph. But the point is, where did she get the idea that these women were adopted to Joseph as daughters? And Eliza R. Snow also mentions being adopted into the family of Joseph. Joseph Kingsbury talks about being adopted as Newell K. Whitney's son and his and his wives as Newell's daughters. So the, the principle of adopting in this hierarchical um, family structure as daughters and sons was there. But do we tie it to Joseph Smith directly? We can't. But the but it's in the zeitgeist of the time. Well, you can also point to uh, what, you know, like King Follett discourse. I mean, he's talking about something related to sealing, you know, someone getting the sealing power and you get crafty about it and you go seal all you can. And well, you no, get he, to says you, you're like, he says your sons and daughters seal your sons and daughters to you. Well, what sons and daughters is he talking about? Right. His right. own so, his own literal offspring or ones that become his sons and daughters. We don't know. Right. Right. Uh, so the, we can try to force that into polygamy. Yeah, that's, but, that's March 10th. Yeah, that's not the King Follett discourse. Oh, sorry. My bad. My bad. Okay. Yeah, so, that, um, March 10th, 1844, Elias, Elijah, Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. Well, so there are a few times, you know, words of Joseph Smith, he talks about this idea of getting sealing power, right? I mean, you know, so, but he never talks about it in the context of getting wives, right? Now we can assume that's what he meant, but we, that's, but going off of his words, he could have meant something else. Okay. Awesome. Let's move on to another one. Cindy Todd is curious about the Joseph Nobles signed affidavit that he heard Joseph Smith teach plural marriage in his home and that he performed the marriage ceremony for Joseph Smith to Louisa Beeman in 1841. Now, is that the the one at the park where she was in disguise? Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Who wants to? He doesn't say that in an affidavit, but um, okay. there's, a, there's a secondhand account about that. You want to do it, Mark? Who's um, I think this is a question directed to the other side. Uh, Jeremy, bring it. Um, look, Joseph Nobles and <clears throat> Benjamin Johnson—they're kind of two culprits in the in the ex post facto um, storytelling. Uh, I think being able to cl claim that you were one of the first or the first in the uh, entire arrangement uh, gives you some very special status. I think being a man who himself has many wives and is uh, one of uh, Utah no Utah's nobility gives you special status. And I think that, look, the statement on its on its face is what it is. I saw Joseph do this and he did that. And I think that's one of the one of the uh, the kinds of statements we ought to give real heed to, because he said he he did that specifically with Joseph. It's not secondhand, it's not thirdhand. I think all the secondhand, third, thirdhand uh, statements, we got to really be skeptical about. But this is a firsthand one. This is firsthand hearsay. I'll, well, I'll add to that real quick. Um, so like Jacob said, that Joseph Bates Noble is specifically named by John Bennett as having been connected to Louisa Beeman and Joseph. And that's, and that's a record that's dated latest November 1842. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we can just, if we want to dispute that, that's, that's fine. But I mean, that the story doesn't come later, though. The story, well, at least no, 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 later. no. Yeah, yeah. The point about the story that really ties Joseph to polygamy is that Joseph and Benjamin Johnson are the only other ones who said, I saw Joseph go into the house or into okay. the room and had sex with the women. Okay, that's really okay. the relevant part. The other part of it about sealing, who knows? Maybe Joseph was involved in that, okay. in, in some sort of sealing. But in terms of Joseph Smith being a polygamist, um, you just simply have to weigh the credibility of the statement, and I don't find him credible. Yeah. All right, um, let's move to another one. This one's probably for the affirmative team. 
Why would not one wife make their claim until Joseph's sons arrived in Utah telling everyone that their father had nothing to do with polygamy? Jacob, it's been a while since you've tackled one. You want it? Um, I, I think that Utah, you know, they're, they're dealing with the migration going west in the 1840s and all the different things going on with getting settled. Um, you do have affidavits starting in the 1850s, but very few. And then, um, you know, it's later on that Joseph F. Smith obviously says, I don't see a whole lot of I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence for this. And so he goes around and, and does his affidavit book, obviously, in the 18, 1869. So. Well, the, the, the affidavits really come on the heel of a success of successful mission trips by Joseph's sons. They start converting hundreds of people in the Utah Territory over to their cause to begin uh, disbelieving the traditions of their fathers, basically, and converting over to the RLD aside. And to put a stop to it, Brigham Young calls Emma a damned liar, a devil, and says that she tried to kill Joseph twi uh, twice by poisoning. And then later on in 1869, Joseph F. Smith produces the affidavits. I think that's in response, as Brian Hales admits, oh, okay, okay. To, the, to the efforts of Joseph's sons. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, I misread, I misread the question. Uh, I thought it was... Um, so Joseph's son's arriving in Utah. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's the big thing. Okay. Here's another one from Jared Taylor. Negative team. What sources do we have of people defending Joseph Smith against polygamy besides Emma? Leo? Um, let's see. I mean, you've definitely got, you know, Temple Law case. Um, let's see. There's, there would be Whitehead, I guess you could put out there. Um, his brother, William, I know, uh, went out and defended him. Uh, with some statements. Gosh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. There's a whole list of sources in Joseph uh, fought there's, to me. There's, there's Catherine Smith, his, his sister. There's a few. Yeah, and they're out there. Um, they're out there, yeah. There are statements by by a whole bunch of re reorganite people who said they were in a conference and they all heard jo uh, Joseph Smith publicly say this is interesting. Whether it happened or not, I don't know. But this is what they all swore in affidavits. They heard Joseph get up and say, if Brigham Young ever leads the church, he'll lead it to hell, which is an interesting mm -hmm. statement to make while you're alive. And wasn't Mark Twain uh, a famous author that commented on it as well? Yeah, and he did. He, he saw, he he saw did. no yeah. connection there. I mean, not that he's entirely credible of what happened the whole time there, but well, he's he's not a he's not a witness or anything. He, that's no, he just would have been no, would have been steeped in the in, in in the in the news about it because he grew up right at that time period. Okay, good question, Jared. Thanks. Um, Let's see. Here's one for either team. I don't, you guys can kind of decide who wants to take a stab at it. Whoever wants it the most, raise your hand or whatever. Either team, why would Joseph's wives fabricate their involvement in polygamy given that it generally caused more controversy and controversy and ridicule for them than benefit or prestige? It, it didn't. It did the opposite. It did exactly the opposite. It embarrassed them? No, it made them oh, celebrities. It it, okay. Gotcha. It, made, it made them celebrities, gave them status, and gave them economic position in the community. Okay. I'm, I'm going to disagree with it always being a good thing to make those claims because um, uh, Wilford Woodruff made a, wrote a letter to reprimanding church historian Andrew Jensen for publishing a detailed account of all Joseph's wives, saying, quote, we do not think it is a wise step to give these names to the world in the manner which you have done in the historical record. Advantage may be taken in, of their publication in some instances to injure perhaps of families or relatives of those names who are mentioned. So at least there is this con equal concern of it possibly being embarrassing or injurious to those. Or, or Jensen having gotten it wrong and not being able to substantiate it. I mean, yeah. you know, how do you want to look at that? Sure. All right. It's a flying tiger wants to know. 
What did Joseph Smith do to fight polygamy while he was alive? Anyone? He, he did a ton. I think there is basically two things he was concerned about while he was in Nauvoo. Get the temple built and get polygamy the hell out of here. He was constantly trying to fight it. He wrote a letter to the Relief Society uh, after John C. Bennett uh, became a big deal. He, he publicly uh, published about John C. Bennett's excommunication after working with him for many months. He uh, excommunicated Hiram Brown, Hiram Brown, I believe it was. Um, I, I say he, the high council excommunicated them, but he had charges brought against these people. <clears throat> um, he uh, encouraged the publication of the, uh, of the sworn statements by people in the times and seasons proclaiming against John C. Bennett's system. Um, Emma, who would be inextricably linked to him, published the Voices of Virtue. Hiram gave a very public talk after Joseph Smith's talk on April 6th of 1844 for an hour and a half on the subject decrying spiritual white polygamy. And Joseph Smith gave a very public denial on just weeks before he was killed, May 26, 1844, railing against the accusations that he was a polygamist. This man, through the entire Nauvoo period, was vociferous. The carefully worded denials... That's a ridiculous statement. I'm sorry. It's not carefully worded. He was vociferous time and time again fighting it. Plus, everything he revealed on the subject in the Doctrine and Covenants and in the Book of Mormon is explicitly against it. Okay, cool. Let's move on. Grand Scuba, don't both the Nancy Rigdon and Sarah Whitney letters represent strong contemporary evidences supporting the affirmative? Affirmative team? I'll give you first crack at that one. Uh uh, on that one, I would just say that the Nancy Rigdon letter is the, uh, problematic because we don't have the original copy of it. And that's the, also a problem with the um, Sarah Ann Whitney July 1842 revelation. We don't have the original copy. And so um, we didn't really have any time today to really dig into the contemporary sources. And even the ones I mentioned, I only had to mention in the flying yeah. path. But um, the Sarah Ann Whitney letter in August of 1842. Two, I think, is a strong contemporary evidence because it references that there's something important that had lately passed between them that he felt his feelings were really strong for the Whitney's because of something that had lately passed between them. This is in Joseph's own handwriting. Um, he wants them to come so that he can seal the fullness of his blessings upon them. And so there's some sort of ordinances he's wanting to do with them because of what has lately passed between them. And he's saying, you know, make sure Emma doesn't come when you're here because it will not be safe for you. And he's, yeah, he's not safe for you. He doesn't say safe for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he no, doesn't that, say it's that, not going to be safe for me. It says it's not going to be safe for you if, mm -hmm. uh, if, if Emma comes. Right. Yeah. It's not safe for them because she would be coming to warn them that the hiding place is known and there are guys looking for him. We there should do a whole debate on this letter. Like, uh, I agree. I mean, Agreed. They're, they're, he's trying to protect the Whitney's. He's saying, if you show up and these guys show up at the same time, I don't know what will happen. These guys are not good guys. They might try to hurt all of us. It won't be safe. I mean, guys, this is right on the JSP website. I mean, this is like Olympic level mental gymnastics. Mm. Moments, but just go read the footnote on the JSP website. It's right there. And the sealing blessing to Sarah Ann Whitney is just confirmation that he did something using his sealing authority. It has nothing to it doesn't mention anything about marriage. And you're right, Jacob, the supposed revelation that Newell, that he received on behalf of Newell K. Whitney that gave Newell the ceremony to it is that that is such a ridiculous document. 
on the JSP website, they say it was copied. The copies that they have, two of them in, in, in similar handwriting, were copied in the 1870s. There's no provenance for it whatsoever. And it's in connection with the Whitney family, which is, happens to be in connection with Joseph C. Kingsbury. Frankly, I think the handwriting looks like Joseph C. Kingsbury's handwriting, but who knows? But the, but, but the fact is those two letters, because it's not three now, it's only really two. It's the letter and it's the blessing. Those things only confirm that Joseph was exercising something in his sealing capacity as having authority to bind or seal on earth and in heaven. That's all it indicates. It has no um, uh, indication that he's going to marry the girl. And yeah, that's often uh, called the letter. It's often called the letter to Sarah and Whitney. But who is it really addressed to? It's to her, it's to her parents. It's to her parents. It's really not to her. And so to, to brother and sister and etc. Yeah, I agree, with, I agree with Jeremy. This ought to be its own topic for yeah. And I love that. I would love to go deep into all of. This I would. I would like that too. Yeah, that would, okay. time. That would be are, that ought to be its own discussion. You guys are open to more of these. I'm I'm down. This has actually been really really <laughs> successful. I can't keep up with the comments. I'm overwhelmed. This has been fun. I've I've appreciated it. Me too. Here. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Taylor Smith wants to know um, for the uh, negative team, why didn't any of the people who had massive fallings out with Brigham? who had ample motive and opportunity ever expose him. For example, Lyman White, Amasa Lyman, John D. Lee, et cetera. Good question. It uh, is. Who, who's to say they knew? See, uh, William Smith, Joseph's own brother, would say, Brigham almost had me convinced. Okay? After the fact, when people are saying these things and signing affidavits and concocting stories and we don't have... Uh, a videotape and we don't have recordings like we do today i mean for pete's sake today we can look at the we can look at um uh, warren jeffs and we can look at what happened with warren jeffs and we can document it because we actually can see things and hear things and have recordings of things but the fact is warren jeffs had wit or, or the women in the community went out and publicly lied on camera to protect that man when they knew that man was having sexual relations with underage girls, okay? This community bandied about to protect the, the sacred principle. Well, in that time, you had a community bandy about to, to protect the principle. And they told stories. Some of them, I think, are bold-faced lies, and others of them, I think, are, are, are misrememberings, and other of them, I think, are misconstruences. It's impossible to tell uh, it's impossible to tell what the real truth of the matter was, but it's not it's not unreasonable to say why people like William Smith would even almost be convinced because the tales were so compelling. So Brigham Young apparently was very good at hiding things he, because we know for certain that he was practicing polygamy because he admitted to it in Nauvoo and I believe behind Joseph's back. Okay, so uh, we are we're actually over two hours. Um, I promised you guys I'd try to keep it to two hours. There's there's a lot more to do. Um, maybe in the coming weeks, you guys can take a look at some of the comments on the video and, and see if there's anything unanswered you guys want to get in. Uh, but I would say to most people listening to this, if you want to be more engaged, you have more questions, you want to be more involved in some of these um, open topics, uh, go to the Hemlock Knots communities on Facebook. Um, primarily here on the YouTube channel, we do a lot of variety of topics. You know, we try to get back to the source material best we can. You know, nobody's an expert here, really. We're all just trying to figure it out. Um, but ask your honest questions there. And, and Jacob, Mark, Leo, and Jeremy can all be found on the Helmock Knots website. 
I'm sorry, the Facebook group as well as me. Um, and so just let us know and continue there. But I do want to say before we go that we need to um, put in a little bit of pl plug for the next one. Three weeks from now, we're actually going to be doing another one on whether or not he taught it. Now, we've been kind of like curating this discussion to only talk about his practices, his involvement in it physically. Um, but when we open the can of worms, which is, did he actually teach it? I think you're going to find a lot more stuff there. There's a lot more depth. This, the, the floodgates open into a lot more additional sources that we intentionally left out of this conversation. So um, give a big thanks in the comments to, to our four guys, you know, Mark, Jacob, Jeremy, and Leo. They did a fantastic job. They were very mature about it. Um, and that's, again, that's the reason why I brought them on the show. I knew they could handle something like this and the tendency of this thing to get pretty heated, right? So- Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. You guys oh, thank you. Thanks, job. everyone. Thanks, guys, you guys are Thanks, great. Guys. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Everybody yeah. did a fantastic yeah. job. And so, um, Thanks, Jeremy, Leo, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, we're going to wrap this up, but we're going to do a little bit of a, a closing video and then we'll be out. Thanks again. Thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you in three weeks. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, share it with your people. Join the conversation on Facebook, YouTube, or HemlockKnots.com, where you'll find show notes and source material for these subjects and much more.